0: extra special extra wonderful last of us part two episode of normandy fm we're into it now we're into the deep we're into some some real deep stuff this week it gets uh it gets real i am eric van allen one of your co-hosts alongside ken the shepherd ken how you doing today
1: i'm good was the death of joel not real enough for you eric or we just now get into the real stuff
0: I mean, now we're in, like, the game. We're, like, mm-hmm. into the game parts. Like, we're through the prologue. We have set up the conflict, and we are taking off to Seattle to start the the grand adventure. Uh, and joining us on this grand adventure is one Janet Garcia. How are you doing today, Janet?
2: Pretty good. How are you?
0: I'm doing okay. You know, I'm a little tired. I was up late last night uh, <laughs> playing this video game, <laughs> um, but I think I'm doing all right now. Nice. Are you are you excited to talk about some Last of Us?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, especially looking back at all of this, I think this might be my, um, like, probably my, I don't know if it's my favorite section of the game, but it's really up there. Mm. Um, it sort of hits a lot of points that I think for a lot of people who played through this, this is sort of, uh, in a way, the highlight because it does so many different things well.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Janet, since you are new to the show, uh, how about you give the folks at home a little bit of introduction uh, about who you are, what you do, and also kind of how you got into The Last of Us, how you got acquainted with the series in the first place?
2: Sure. So for those who don't know me, my name is Janet Garcia. Uh, my handle is GameOnesis on the internet. I am a game critic and content creator. I am also a mid-max cohort, so you'll see me on that podcast, approximately once a week, you know, it's a weekly show, so I'm on most of those episodes at this point. Sometimes I'm on Kind of Funny as well. Um, I do a lot of, like, streaming. I have my own podcast. I do reviews, previews, all of that good stuff. Uh, and I have a background in guides uh, from my time at IGN. And then before that, I was just freelancing, doing a bunch of other stuff. Um, as far as Last of Us history, it's pretty recent. I honestly did not beat the first game until... Um, the year that this, that Last of Us Two came out, it was mm. I beat it like maybe a month before uh, the Last of Us Two. So while everyone else in the world had to wait so many years <laughs> for the epic follow up of the epic story, I was like, oh, it's it's around the corner. Um, and and for me, I basically just you know missed it when it came out, and then it had a bunch of you know like the you know ports or remasters or refinements mm. or whatever. But I kept just like starting it and not getting far enough in, and then having to restart. So I played the beginning of last of us one over under i'm gonna say maybe four times i also had some file cloud save issues Mm. so i like kept replaying it and it didn't really click for me a lot of the the times i had played through it at first but when i finally committed to it um i started to see you know what really makes it special and you know without i guess i don't know who'd be listening to this that also didn't play the first one and cares about spoilers (laughs) for the first one but in case that person exists uh you know just like Iconic combat moments, you know, the winter season, even the ending, which I didn't know the ending going in because like I had existed in the world. But I didn't Mm -hmm. know the details of of the lines from that scene at the very end. And those details were the ending to me. So I I Mm -hmm. still felt like really satisfied with it because I only knew like the spark notes of The Last of Us. And um, I really got a lot out of playing that. And then for the second one, I um, wrote the walkthrough for it alongside Brendan Graber. Shout out to Brendan for finding those coins (laughs) because I was real scared that I was gonna have to find all the coins myself and I was very tired. So uh, overall I probably spent with at least the game on, um, I checked my run time today I have 47 hours in The Last of Us 2. Mm. Um, haven't platinumed yet. Probably will go back and do that at some point using my <laughs> slash art guide from the, from the time. Um, but yeah, absolutely loved it. Had a great time playing it.
1: Yeah, I That's actually awesome. pulled up your guides to get through some of this open world section to make sure that I was hitting all the right spots. So thank you yep. for that.
2: <laughs> You're welcome. And, and yeah, shout out to Brendan, who did a lot of that collectible uh, stuff. Mm.
0: That is like the weird part of this. And I guess like a good way for us to segue into what this section is, which is it's it's Ellie's day one in Seattle. And, you know, we've had our entire prologue where we had a very emotional opening uh, to the game uh, all the way up through Joel's death and, and setting out after Tommy, after Tommy runs off. Uh, so we're rolling up to Seattle, Ellie and Dina on a horse. And we, we get through a few kind of very basic, I'd say the last of us, uh, sections. But then once we get past that, it just opens up, like opens Mm -hmm. up. And, um, I I think there's, there's some interesting stuff here in the beginning where they're, where they're talking between each other. You, You have kind of some, I don't want to call them like flashbacks, but just like references to various things that Ellie has done in the past as kind of a way of, it was like, kind of a sneaky way I think for them to be like hey remember all this stuff you Mm. did in the last of us part one and it's Dina just kind of going like hey remember how you murdered a bunch of people in one place and made them mad or how you murdered Mm. some other people in another place and made them mad (laughs) like maybe they're the ones that killed Joel um but uh I do think it's it still feels kind of weird in the context of that like I feel the game does not really hide the fact that it's related to the fireflies in some way, you know, by just the way it framed it in the beginning, like we were talking about um, having those flashbacks to the surgeon and everything in the first place. It's they're kind of like throwing up the signpost that it's Mm. the fireflies. (laughs) Um, But once we get through some initial stuff of, of getting around some gates and things like that, we get into a very large open world section. And that's kind of like most of the intro of this area is doing some, and Ken, you might be able to speak better to this, but uh, it's like some Uncharted 4 yeah. open world stuff going on here. So i wonder if you could like comment on that one a little bit because I obviously have not played any Uncharted yeah. game ever and I refuse to because Ken
1: won't let me let go of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it it, um, it it was weird because like Uncharted 4 had open areas, but it was like very specific points to the game. That, like, okay, here's an open area. As soon as you like kind of, get through here and go with what you're doing. It gets back to kind of like the more, uh, closed off linear stuff of what more people will kind of associate with that series where even uncharted lost legacy, which was kind of like mostly open world for like a large section of that. And then it did, you know, kind of funnel in, uh, then, but it felt very, like very much like that was something that like uncharted four, like takes last Us's kind of stealth mechanics, but last of us took Uncharted's more open sections. And like, you can see the way they're playing off each other. Um, Altogether, I don't know that, like, I care for these sections that much because, like, I am not, like, an open-world person, and I don't think even... I, I wouldn't say that they-, they-, they misunderstand what is interesting about, like, quote-unquote interesting about open-world sections, because, like, I think there are, like, interesting things to find, interesting, uh, like, instances of, you know, combat and also, like, storytelling that are interesting, but they I, I just... I'm always a person that's, like, if it... If you can have all these sections closer together and not like make the act of getting into them mature, I'm all for that. But I do think also that these are small enough that it does not feel as overwhelming as something like a, like a more uh, dedicated open world game does.
0: Mm. Janet, how did you kind of feel about like this this shift in The Last of Us from from being a more like linear, straightforward, like, you know, level by level thing to having these sort of sections where you branch out and you have this big map where you're marking things and, and putting down question marks and checking them out and crossing them off. I
2: loved it. Even though the map, Oh gosh, it's Mm. such like a kid's menu of a map. Right. (laughs) And it's just like, I don't know. It's one of those things where I love it for the lore, but I hate it for the functionality because like, did you try using that map? It's Mm -hmm. horrible. (laughs) Like it just feels like, I don't know. So, Basic and right. uh, you know it's in game like you know you you unravel it and it it does feel very lived in but uh, the mm. practicality of it kind of gets lost in the weeds there right. but overall I I liked that it's that's more open I think it lends itself well to what they're trying to do narratively too because it makes it so that these um, dialogue moments that we have uh, while they're kind of going from point A to point B or exploring within an area feel a lot more natural and it's harder for them or in some cases impossible for them to be interrupted by uh, the next action. So it makes Mm. it really seamless even though it's obviously by design that like we have just enough time walking through this forest to talk about like the first time we killed somebody and all of that. But I I like how that melds together so well. And I also just like having a little bit more to look at. I One of my favorite things about The Last of Us, like as a franchise, because I guess it's a franchise now, <laughs> is how simmy it is. And I know it's something you guys touched on uh, last episode. But yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, the combat is great. I enjoy it fine. But what I really want to do is look around at old stuff in open drawers mm-hmm. and look for scrap and look for medicine mm-hmm. and do all of that. And I enjoy that the openness gives you more spots to... Dig into, explore, and potentially find stuff. So you're often rewarded for doing the exploration either through items that can be used to make you stronger or to upgrade yourself, or narratively.
1: Right, because I think like there are a lot of interesting like side narratives that happen. You're like the bank. You go there. You kind of like through looking at notes and like the the infected that are there. You realize oh like a group of people thought it would be like a great idea to try and rob a bank on uh, outbreak day and. And This is kind of like what happened to them. They like it didn't work out, and then they got they were left here and infected, and they had like bulletproof vests, so like you couldn't fight them as easily as you could like a normal infected, and um, you know just stuff like that. Like I I do think I will give them the the credit that like they did make the most of the space they had and were able to really like lean into like the environmental storytelling. I think the last was kind of a set. I think all of the
0: stuff that y'all have talked about is, is what makes that stuff really good. Like the environmental storytelling is really good. I do like the idea that there are some optional, you know, stuff we, we were talking before the podcast started about how, um, there are like some upgrades you can pick up here, but you can also end up picking up if you just roll along the critical path, uh, like the shotgun. Uh, there are some that I think you can only get here, like getting the additional holster for, for Ellie, which is like, you know, anyone who's played last of us part one knows how good having Mm. another holster is. So that was great. Um, and also much later on, much, much later on, and we'll talk a little bit more about it then, but like getting some of the extra training manuals and stuff like that is really, really helpful. Um, but I'm going to say something that Ken is not going to like right now. (laughs) Um, love that for me. I, the thing about the map that got me was that it felt too video gamey to me. And I think for a series that has so far been really good about, like, pulling you in and making you, like, engage with the world, and like a good example is you have these gates that you're working through, and each of the gates you have to go through these generator puzzles to get them plugged in, but you also have to punch in a code. And I did find it was really funny to me that first big gate uh, that you open up so that Dina and Shimmer can get through, um you have to like throw the the cable over the top Mm -hmm. and plug it in and all that. There was a numpad there, but all the numbers were gone. So I was looking at it and I was like, I wonder if kids today would have trouble figuring out this puzzle because how often does like the modern youngster interact with a numpad? You know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's It's such a
2: numbers for debit cards.
0: I guess there are, yeah, there are pin numbers and, but I, I, the first thing I I think when I see a numpad and like that sort of like typing things out is the, the T9 typing that we used to have to use on phones. Mm. Maybe this is the sign that I'm getting really old (laughs) is that I'm like back in my day, we had T9 typing, but um, I was looking at that. I was like, oh yeah, you know, you're going to have to know like what these numbers are if you're going to figure this puzzle out because the other ones do show the numbers on them but um, you had to like look at a piece of paper and of course I ended up cheating and like taking a picture of it on my phone so I could just pull oh, it <laughs> instead of pulling that out but, um, but I was like that's kind of cool you know that's like a physical thing that you're having to pull out and read potentially whereas uh, with the map it like put up these big blinking blue question marks and it always had you like located like a big you are here thing on there And I almost wish that you would have had to like, you know, there are times when you get a letter and it's like, oh, it's in the shop on like 6th and whatever street. And you would have to actually pay attention to the signs or pull the map out and like look or or even just like, you know, into it the way that a city is built where uh, you have rising numbers in one direction and rising letters in the other direction. And you have to kind of figure out like, okay, I have to go here and this is where I need to end up. I would have liked that a little bit more just cause it would have made it feel less like what it ultimately felt like to me, which was like, you know, can we love to call it open world bullshit? Like <laughs> the, um, I'm going to go check things off of a list mm-hmm. and I'm going to make all the question marks no longer be question marks. And, um, so even though I really like some segments like the synagogue where you get to talk to Dina a little bit about faith and, um, and her, her heritage, her her family, and all that, and um, the the courthouse, I thought was really interesting too. Uh, you ultimately just end up like kind of running around and getting question marks and filling off question marks, and I was like, I don't know, I that felt a little video gamey for what The Last of Us usually ends up being. Mm.
1: Did um. Do I remember correctly, did Firewatch have a mode where, like, you could, like, you pull out its map and not have, like, your icon on there, and you just kind of had to intuit where things were? Or was was that maybe, like, a concept they brought up at some point? Maybe doing? Sounds like a Firewatch thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, because that sounds familiar to me. Um.
2: Yeah, I think the area is just a little too big to, like, be able to do that. Like, I think it is a cool idea if you had to sort of read more of the world, and they, you know without getting too far ahead. There are instances where, you know, this game does that, but I think it's just like a little bit too big, right. but I do get how it's like a kind of a half measure where it's like, it's real enough that we're opening the map, but fake enough that I have a blinking. dot. Right. Right.
0: The, the blinking dots were what really got me where I was like, I could maybe understand it if she was just writing like question marks on there and then crossing them off. Like that was good, but they were literally like blinking blue lights. And I was like, no, this is taking me right out of it. Like, please mm. stop. Um, so I don't know. Uh, that's not the only very video gamey thing that I, I didn't like in this section, but we'll get to that one in a moment. But, um, storyline wise, uh, I, I do feel like this is very last of us in terms of like, it's very slow at the beginning. You know, you're kind of, go- you're coming into the city. Um, you're looking for the WLF as you will soon start to call the wolves as you make the, the brilliant connection after seeing a wolf, a painting next to the WLF. Um, And there's a lot of environmental storytelling. I love that they keep calling it the fuck Fedra gate. Um, Mm. That's, that's a really good running gag. Um, And you're just kind of picking up different pieces of, of story as, as you're moving through here, they seem to really just lean into the sort of, Oh, ambient, like we're going to kind of give you some idea of where the story might be headed without telling you outright, like, Hey, Dina's feeling a little under the weather. That's that's a little strange. Mm. <laughs> Put a pin in that one. And um we we get through some gates finally. Um and, and we're heading towards Servina,
1: which well, is Well before we before we do that, we need to talk about oh, okay. the best scene of the open world bullshit, though. The best
0: scene. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I forgot to talk about the record store. Yeah. <laughs> the one that you specifically messaged me and were like, make sure you go to the record store. Um yes. This is that part. I think is honestly my favorite part of this whole section because mm-hmm. it is the most like just having a moment in a place, yeah. um, not really like related to any massive storyline revelation or um, or even like something really tied to sentimentality, like we're going to get to at the very end of this section. But like uh, just a nice moment of character building between ellie and dina and also like big props to ellie because pulling out like it's one thing to know how to play guitar and sing and stuff like that but like sitting there and not just singing a little bit of a song but like singing a good chunk of mm. that song in front of somebody as they're just watching you terrifying <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like mm. i've i podcast a lot and i still get like stage fright when i do that shit so uh Big props to yeah. Ellie
1: for that. Yeah, it was also like I, I I like that the game is in different places, like finding songs to like attribute to certain people in this world, because like mm-hmm. she starts off the first thing that she does is she plays a little bit of Future Days, and Dean kind of like mm-hmm. walks in like What's that?" and then she's like, "Nothing." Like that's a private thing. That is something that means something very specific to Ellie. That she's maybe not even you know kind of like implies that like Joel's relationship and or, like her relationship with Joel is kind of like something that is. Nah, not necessarily uh, more so than Dina, but just, like, it is very specifically, like, special to her in a way that's, like, private, and I appreciated that. But then, like, she kind of, like, basically gives Dina a song, too, like, something that uh, will kind of, like, be a touchstone for their relationship, because, like, and this isn't really a spoiler, but, like, if, if you do this scene, there is going to be a point where we're going to walk into a room and Dina is going to be humming it, and it's, like, really sweet. And, yeah, I just, I just like how, like, certain songs carry, like, a certain weight to certain people in this, in this game.
0: Janet, what did you think of the, the guitar playing? Are are you a guitar playing fan?
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: generally, yes. I will say the first thing that struck me of the song is that, like, it it's such a... You know, it's acoustic version of a song that's not traditionally... Right a, a mm-hmm. slow like you know it's very um you know take on me if please listen to the original if you haven't it's very like high tempo mm-hmm. and, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like Mimi to me <laughs> yeah um and I no. I know that song I've I listened to that song a lot because I love 80s music because my dad is like you know he's in his 60s now and he the 80s were his youth. so that's like mm-hmm. his version of like what the arctic monkeys are for me right? right where it's like everything I listened to in high school and college so I did it uh, it didn't hit for me as um, sentimentally as I think it was supposed to because I just think, duh, 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 right. duh. you know, it's like There's a little like a it's a little goofy. There. Yeah, yeah um, unlike you know, with Future Days, uh, I'll be honest, y'all, I did not even realize that was a Pearl Jam song, <laughs> no. so I just oh, didn't yeah. have any additional like real world association with it right. until like I was like, oh, cool, it's like, you know, whatever. Um, and also, even the real version of that song is still kind of you know somber to a degree versus right. Take on Me is very cheery. Um, yeah. So that sort of was a little difficult to digest, but I do think the general like sentiment of it is right. very sweet. And I like what I like about this is that, again, back to like, the sim elements, it's a moment to sit in. Like Mm. you can just be there and be present and like put the controller down and do that that classic Sony thing that sometimes people um, you know make fun of a little bit where it's like oh playing a Sony game like get the popcorn out right Right. lean back it's very narrative cinematic Um, and yeah this is like it's a really cute moment and it's it kind of makes me sad that some people might not see it at all but I guess that that that's what makes an enticing you know open world faux open world like this Mm. if the side stuff isn't interesting then, you know, what's the point of having it there? But then it's also like you don't want it to be so interesting that you feel like you need it. So I, I do think they do a good job with that overall. But um mm. yeah, it's a beautiful scene uh about the relationship. But I do think the song is a little a yeah. little uh upbeat eighties goofy.
0: Right. It is like I and maybe this is just because I'm I'm cheesy as shit, but like I I, I like taking those you know, upbeat songs and turning them into little acoustic ditties. Like there are a lot of songs I think got popular because of that reason, or like the, the acoustic version of a song got very popular because of that. And so Ellie falling into that same thing is kind of like relatable to me as just a guitar player. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, that sounds like some shit I would do. (laughs) I would be like, Oh, I like this song. Let me make it a really somber melody all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Um, but Ken, I did want to ask:
1: Did you mess around with the guitar afterwards? Did I you have pick that guitar back up. I have tried to like play something that like kind of sounds like shit that I know how to play in real life, and because the weird thing is like you can only really play like full chords on these things, so it's kind of like you're like, limited you can, in terms. You can like faux pick, but it doesn't ever feel accurate, or right? Correct. Yeah. So like, mm. so, so there have been a few things that I've kind of like tried to mess around and t- try to recreate, but it is like very limited. Uh, tool to do that with but um, like I th- we mentioned it last, last week that uh, Kian like made a video I think for vg twenty I'm gonna check that before I I'm gonna check that in editing and make sure that that's right before I uh, say I that think that's, I think yeah. that's right I think and, so um, too yeah. yeah yeah and just like played songs through it and I was like that's it's a cool thing like it is even if like the actual sort of like playing of it is fairly limited it does it is nice as a guitar player to like, see like oh they are like like Ellie's got the right finger positions and like is you know mm-hmm. They like pay attention uh they paid so much attention to detail there, which is really nice to see.
0: And the chord wheel like makes sense for each arrangement and mm-hmm. stuff. Like I was a little annoyed that I couldn't find one where I could get G C D and E minor all on a single wheel because mm. like that is like a very traditional like, you know, chord structure and all that, but um I did manage to get I, I played Don't Fear the Reaper, which I mm. felt was very nice. appropriate. <laughs> um <laughs> and then I played um kids by mgmt because they had the right chords for that on one of the wheels too and i was i was very happy when i got that one working Mm. because i I love that song so Um, oh but also in that
2: record store i really like the piece of dialogue where they're talking about bands and ellie's explaining what a groovy is right (laughs) and dina's like oh sauce me (laughs) and i Uh, i think that's a really it's such a cute nod to like you know one their relationship dynamic which is very um you know playful flirty obviously has like A strong root in their friendship pre romance Mm. as well, Um, but I think that was also kind of an interesting like little nod to the idea of a companion character and this person that's sort of the supporting actor to the hero's story. Um, And you know, I think it's like it's both a moment of acknowledging that Dina is very much side character, but also giving her that personality that is often attributed to the side character. This like the side character of stories, like uh, in video games at least, is often more charismatic than whoever the main person is and i think in this case that's true to a degree like ellie is obviously very well-rounded as a character and fleshed out but she's brooding and angsty mm-hmm. and yeah. awkward and weird and and dina dina always comes off like so much more sure of herself um and stable or more well-adjusted i guess mm-hmm. um and even just like you know bringing it back to like the what y'all had mentioned with the um the conversation they had at the beginning with, like, oh, when's the first time you killed somebody? And for Ellie, yeah. it was when she was 14. And for Dina, it was when she was 10. And yeah. it was like, oh, like, I thought I yeah. was, you know, had some stuff. But really, like, right. y'all, you know, it really puts it in context.
1: Right. And it does give, like, give, it is an interesting comparison between the two because, like, not even just that conversation, but, like, throughout, you know, Dina's role in this, she talks about, like, she has done some equally fucked up shit to the sh- shit that Ellie has. And it does, like, kind of, to have a character that has gone through this world and has come out at, it- relatively well adjusted and like maybe not as nihilistic as a lot of other people do. It's like it's nice to have and like I think it's it's kinda like really uh butt heads uh with some stuff later in the game. But um yeah, it's just it, it is interesting to me, like, seeing the way that they are like opposed against each other and also like what it kind of says about maybe maybe like it you know, this world may be shitty and can do a lot of shitty things to a lot of people, but it does it is on the individual to kind of like find ways to cope with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we'll maybe touch on this a little bit later, so I won't mention it too much here, but I do think that this game wants you to think a little bit more about what kind of violence you're doing in it mm. and how, you know, how you feel about it. And um there there are several ways in which I think it does that, but I think having Dina as the counterweight to that works well here in the beginning at least. Mm. Um I will also say that like um having Having Dina around as, and as like the constant companion is very different from having like it be Joel and Ellie, mm. and I, I dig the dynamic so far. It's like a very different dynamic from The Last of Us Part 1, but uh, I think it, it just works, especially given the story that they're telling and having that sort of counterbalance to who Ellie is and, and Ellie's approach to everything is very good. Um, it's just nice to have, like, you still have playful banter and all that, mm-hmm. like, Joel and Ellie always joked around, and Ellie and Dina always joke around, but the way that they joke around is a little bit different. Um, right. Uh, you know, just naturally, and I think it works really, really well as, like, a change of pace coming For right sure. off of Last of Us Part 1. Um, I do... Oh,
2: um, sorry, I know we have, to... there's, like, so many sections of this day, oh, but yeah. um, yeah. really quick, did y'all stop by some of the things that weren't? On the map, like, you know, seeing um, the campsite, the oh, yeah, old, yeah. like, army thing, like, all of that.
0: I got the army thing, I think. I don't know if I got the campsite. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is was this a... the one where the specialty store is, or is that later? It's, like, a little
2: fire pit by a bunch of flowers.
0: Okay. I did not get that one.
1: Yeah, that one is, um, I think it's actually near the bank, so I think if you didn't go to the bank, you might not have seen it then. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah. near the bank. Yeah. But the, the implication of that... that uh, campsite is that they have a moment where like tommy must have been here like somebody must have been here that needed shelter that did not have it readily available to them and um so yeah like there are actually a couple points throughout this we're gonna get like we're basically like trailing tommy at this point Mm -hmm. that clearly he has been here and might be up to shit so
0: getting into some business you know how tommy Um, is yeah you know how it is yeah um but was this was this area or like the next open area, the part where you can find the specialty store that has Halloween stuff in it? Mm, I think that's the next one. The next one. Okay. That, that was where more like shops were. And... Okay. We'll put a pin in that then. Yeah. Cause I do want to mention that specifically. It was, it was an interesting little thing. Um, so first open world bullshit section done. Uh, we moved through, uh, the fuck Fedra gate, Uh, and we keep heading towards Servina, which is, uh, labeled as Servina base by a bunch of wolf letters that we find. Uh, but basically we begin to learn that, uh, it is the Servina hotel makes a lot of sense that they would hole up in a hotel. You know, it's pretty well equipped for that. Um, we, we do find that infected have kind of hopped the gate there. So we have our easy way in and we take out some infected. I also want to say like, the beginning of this game was making me feel really gung-ho about like, oh yeah, I'm super awesome. I'm stealthing all these segments. <laughs> I'm so good at this video game. By the end of this section, I was like fleeing for my life in every <laughs> combat. Uh, so it, I, I think it does a good job of like luring you into a false sense of security mm-hmm. at the beginning of this section and making you think that you've totally got this managed. And I think that fits well tonally with the game. But um, we find uh, Nick, Nick, one of the folks who was in the group that that came to find and kill Joel uh, tied up to a chair, uh, dead. And uh, Ellie pretty quickly figures out what has been going on uh, and that Tommy did this because they find a second dude in a chair tipped over behind the bed who had written something in blood. And Ellie explains that this is a tactic that Joel had taught her, um, which is if you want to get information out of some guys, you have them each write something down. And if they write the same thing, you know, they're telling the truth. And if they write something different, then you, uh, you get to work working on them until they start telling the truth. And, uh, I think this is definitely a moment where Dina's like, uh, holy shit. Right. Like, uh, not just, I think not only just the fact that like, Joel knew how to do this and taught Ellie to do this, but that Tommy also like Mm -hmm. was able to do this as well. And Dina has a line later where she's like, I knew Tommy, you said Tommy had a dark past, but I never figured it was like this. But I think the unspoken thing there is also being like, Hey, so this is also something that you mentioned, like totally being like understanding what was going on and all that. And um, it clearly rattles Dina in a way that, uh it mm. does not for Ellie. Ellie's just like, oh yeah, hey, look, they did the chair trick. <laughs> like <laughs> that's <laughs> no. the good old good old write-it down trick. Um classic Tommy. Is, yeah, <laughs> classic Tommy. Um yeah. But then but then Dina also like turns around and is like, you know, if my sister's killers were tied to chairs, she'd probably do the same thing, which hey, there you go. Running theme, we're going to run. Well, it's
2: theme. that it's that classic, like you know, trying to comfort someone, even if maybe you don't necessarily totally agree. And it kind of reminds me, actually, of, you know, what y'all mentioned last episode with Joel confessing what he did to Tommy, Mm -hmm. and Tommy being like, oh, yeah, like, totally understandable. Mm. And it's like, was it, though? Was it? Mm. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing happening here. Like, I I don't necessarily think Dina's lying, but I don't think she would necessarily tell the truth either in that case, so it could kind of go either way for me.
1: Yeah, I think there's a difference between, like, really being like I empathize with your, what you're doing and more just like I I am following why somebody would do that and I know like what would bring somebody to that point. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: we head through the gate, you know, we punch in the numbers one more time and then we fall for the oldest trick in The Last of Us Part 2 or The Last of Us Any Part uh, book, which is jumping a horse over an obstacle and landing on a landmine. <laughs> the second time in two video games, this has happened. And I'm starting to think that everyone in the U S just knows that the, the Jackson folks fall for it every single time. (laughs) Um, Dina rolls away uh, off the road as wolves come down upon us and, and knock us Ellie out. And we wake up uh, face to face with Jordan, the dude whose face we messed up uh, in Jackson and he's, uh, he's clearly unhappy, but he wants to interrogate us, which is interesting. Um, you know, He's trying to get info out of us, and another dude walks in, and he's like, no, we're supposed to just shoot trespassers on site. And Jordan is arguing, no, come on, we can get info. There could be a larger group. We don't know what's going on here. Uh, and they start to fight with each other. You can kind of be struggling as Ellie throughout this whole section, trying to get the ropes undone and then Dina heroically shows up and shoots one of the dudes, but then, uh, she gets the glass shot out from under her, uh, falls down and starts struggling with Jordan. Meanwhile, we're just struggling to get glass and uncut our own rope and all that. And it's a very, very, very tense situation. Um, I was actually like, I, these these segments are so weird to me because I know that they're like scripted and stuff like that. Mm. And it's basically like just get it done within a certain time frame and, and you're good. But especially once like Dina was in danger and this was the moment where I was like, oh, they did a good job of like reflecting some of that relationship onto me. I still felt like a sense of urgency to mm-hmm. get it done. I wasn't just like, yep. "Oh, gameplay moment, QTE, let's do this." I was actually like, "Gotta get this done. This mm-hmm. is bad. I don't like." This.
2: I think <laughs> the scores, the score carried a lot of that weight. Mm-hmm. Like looking yeah. back on it, like it just it did that really intense, like swelling. Uh, right. kind of like reminded mm-hmm. me of like how Hans Zimmer's tracks often are. Um, that like intense, like boom in the air, and I think that's what adds to like. I, I also felt that way, even though I'm like, this is all fake. Though you know what, all mm-hmm. of it's fake because the video game so Mm. you know the just the disbelief is already suspended but yeah it was a very stressful moment
1: yeah
0: for sure so we uh we grab the switchblade and uh murder the bejesus out of jordan um i mean he man he dies i've noticed that especially when you kill (laughs) people in this game there seems to be just a little extra to them dying than there was in last of us part one like whenever I do a stealth kill on a dude, it's not just like, oh, they're dead. They're like, they die and they have like this Mortal Kombat spray of blood come out of their neck and all that kind of stuff. And I'm mm. like, oh, man, yeah.
1: they um, yeah, kind of are... feeling for the animators in this game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like there does seem to, because I mean, part one still had like, you know, this kind of moments too, but like part two is like, does have that like extra step a little bit further like with i i really noticed it in the jackson section when we were playing as abby and doing a stealth kill like they go out of their way to like make the animation of her snapping the neck and also make the sound which is not something Mm -hmm. they did in part one because like joel just kind of strangled people in that game and like there wasn't Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of sound to that other than people like you know grunting but um yeah with ellie it's you know she's got her switchblade so like her stealth kills are they're they're different from Abby's, but also I feel like they always and this will be a recurring thing when the when it comes to uh, killing of the eight people that came to get Joel, uh, they I, like I don't I don't think they ever really go like a sort of like God of War, Mortal Kombat sort of style of like really like getting into it and like making it like gratuitous. I th- I do think by and large large the uh, Last of Us violence is kind of just very matter of fact more than it is anything that's necessarily played up, but it it does feel like they do go out of their way to kind of, like, make those kills in particular feel significant in some way. And so this, we get, like, you know, Ellie just stabs him in the neck, and then, like, but it, you like, goes, like, into his face when it's happening, and mm-hmm. it's, you know... It, like, again, I mean, they, you, they like, hear
0: it too. You right. like hear him choking on his blood and stuff. Instantly. Yeah. Should probably say content warning at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're um, like, how many episodes into talking about these
1: games? Yeah, <laughs> just, people the probably know. Yeah.
0: But also, yeah, just heads up because we're also going to get to more stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not Mortal Kombat and that, like, it's not like, you know, the Mortal Kombat 10 fatalities or anything like that. But by, like, you know, you look at Mortal Kombat and that definitely does more of like, so gory and ridiculous it it's campy and Mm. it like spins back around whereas this it's like it's very realistic in a way that that hits a little bit um you know it's just a little too real and again we will get to more of this in like a hot second here because we're about to fight our way out of this uh school that we have found ourselves trapped in and um i i will say i stealthed most of this. There were Mm. a few times where I got caught and and I went guns blazing. And I'm going to say also that the combat in this game is absolutely phenomenal. I've Mm. like completely fallen for it. Um I I love how it feels. Like the stealth feels great. The the movement feels great. The like dodging adds so much. Going prone in different levels of grass works so much. I do kind of wish there was some sort of indicator that told you whether you're fully hidden or not. I mean, I don't feel mm. like there's not enough context for me to be able to intuit that, but I also just, I guess that is the one place where I'm like, Oh, I want the video game thing. Right. <laughs> Show me the, the stealth indicator. But yeah. um, I did go around just like completely annihilating all these wolves that we get through like the hallways and then the courtyard and then the roof uh but the one thing that did immediately stick out to me was that not only are they modeling all these characters very differently but they're doing the thing that they they touted in the marketing as well which is like they call out each other's names mm. and stuff like that and it seems like there's very much an emphasis on you killing people that talk to each other that have like goals and aspirations you know there are a couple times in this section where you sneak up on some folks and they're just talking about like, Oh, it's, it's a good thing. It's a, my last day on the watch, you know, tomorrow we're heading out and I'm going to finally have that nice piece of land that I've always dreamed about. And I hope I don't get stabbed in the neck today. Oh <laughs> and, honey. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Who's going to tell us? Yeah. And, and like for all, for all the ways in which like last of us part one did make, you know, it's human enemies. These sort of almost like cartoonish, Uh, bad dudes, you know, raiders and stuff like that, that you would totally expect to just be killing a ton of in in the post-apocalypse. And they were all kind of the same big burly dude that was just running at you and all that. Here, having them be actual, like look more like actual people, have names and stuff like that. I'm back and forth on it because part of me is like, oh, this is a lot more believable. This is what, you know, like the people that live in the post-apocalypse would look like, like what their, um, the makeup of their forces would look like. I mean, they they look more like the people in Jackson. Like that makes more sense to me, logically, storyline-wise. But also it does feel like there's an intent for you to maybe start feeling bad about the things that you're doing, or at least start feeling conflicted about the things that you're doing. And definitely like in certain sections. So when I went up to the roof from the courtyard and there were a bunch of wolves on the roof, and if you wait long enough, some of them will go down into the courtyard to try and figure out what happened. I let them live. Like I let them just go down to the courtyard and I snuck by and I felt, like that no. was, <laughs> I, mean, I felt like that was a moment where I was like, I've kind of killed a lot of people here today and I think maybe if I just let a few people live I might feel less worse about all the murder I've done Mm. because like the murder is both really really fun to do in this game and also I feel the the dial has been turned a bit to make you feel bad about it more and did y'all feel that way about the combat in this?
1: Uh, I
2: think I mean, I'm just a bad person because <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't feel any guilt at all at this point, especially in that first playthrough. Um, in hindsight, having seen it all through, lines like Dina saying, or it was either Dina or Ellie or kind of both of them agreed that, oh, these people aren't like us. Like they'll shoot you on sight. You know, mm. we're gonna like see who you are first. We're we're, we're the good murderers. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that definitely hits different having seen it all through. But my first time through, I was like, nah, I'm just the gig is the gig, you know, I'm just mm. going through it. Um, it. It did feel more, like, intimate and personal, though, I think is a, mm. an undertone of this entire game. Like, I think it's worth pointing out that the first combat that happens in this, like, um, I think it's called the, like, the elementary school, Eastbrook Elementary is the area. Mm. Um, it's, uh, you're in a kindergarten classroom. Like, mm. I think that needs to be, you yeah. know, addressed a little bit. Like, it's so, like, innocent, but then it's dark. It's, like, a mm. just, like, this kindergarten bloodbath. It's, you know, it's very... Um, it's just it's just very malicious and dark, like the, mm. the immediate tone. Um, obviously, the courtyard is like more innocuous because you're just outdoors. Right. Uh, this is also the first section that gave me any trouble. Like the courtyard and cafeteria, took me so long to do. And in the guide, if you go to like the IGN guide for this, there are in a ridiculous amount of tips this also had like early guide energy for me where like i was so early enough that i'm like i'm putting in so many details i got time and then you know mm. eventually less but i just struggled so hard so i wrote like eight million tips so if you if you're bad in this area <laughs> i have a lot of tips for you but mm. yeah um it's i didn't really feel i don't know i never had the guilt that like people describe in this game but maybe that's just me
1: i um so like they do a lot in this. Like, I feel like this first day that Ellie is here in Seattle is their mm-hmm. point to do like a lot of world building in terms of like who the WLF were. Like, you know, like through various notes and stuff that we find, we find that they were basically like a group that believed themselves to be like the like the fireflies of Seattle, and right. they kind of had an uprising against the military. But they also like put in their own martial law. Like, you'll find banners of like basically like if you don't follow the WLF, you're shot on sight. Like so. It is like, you know, they do I think, uh, you know, a good job of like maybe personalizing the, the enemies that you're doing, but I don't feel like you're not like going into like a small community of people that you're just like going to fuck up for no fucking reason. Like, you are dealing with people that are the orders to shoot you on site that have become part of like a nation that has essentially, uh, you know, they took down the government and that, that you know, depending on the situation is, you know, whatever, but like they are like basically bringing people in. That we're living in Seattle and like, hey, it's our way or the highway. or And so, like, I don't know, like, there is. I, I do think that, like, what you're talking about, Eric, is like, kind of like having that weight is, like, a more interesting way of talking about, like, the idea of bringing guilt upon yourself in this game than pretending that Last of Us is some kind of, like, meta textual gotcha moment, which I think is what a lot of the quote unquote guilt uh, discussion around this game ends up being. But um, as far as it, as far as, like, these wolves i'm like not really feeling that because like the game has given you plenty of reason to understand like they might not they might just be like in the way of what your actual goal is but they they aren't fucking friendly people that have stumbled into your line of fire right
0: yeah i don't think it's like i don't think it's anything like spec ops the line where it's like haha guess what you actually committed a war crime surprise um it's it's more like they're just trying to make that i I liked what what janet said that it's like more intimate it's more Mm. like uh, personal, you know, it's, you're not just kind of killing video game enemies there. It, it seems like there's a real effort made to make these like characters that you're killing almost mm. like, you know, they've got a D and role playing sheet for each one of these mm. characters yeah. that you're murdering and you're just tearing it up with each one. And that, you know, it's, it's not quite the level of like, Oh, you, you know, that I imagine we'll probably get to when we get to a later part where, two certain characters clash but um it is the level of like you're not just kind of killing an enemy in the same way that you handle like a clicker or an infected or something Mm. like that
2: yeah Um, i think you eric bringing up like how good the combat is in this game too like really helps support some of that because mm -hmm. in the last of us one especially like playing the last of us one today uh which i know might not need to be the case anymore if you know the remake actually ends up happening of that mm-hmm. game. It might feel different, but playing that game today, um the combat is very like slapstick at times, especially if yeah. you're not like that skilled. <laughs> so that like for is- me <laughs> playing that game, like I had my stealth attempts, but it was a very much like a jank stealth run for me where mm-hmm. I'm stealth until I just start swinging like clubs at people and it's like, you know, <laughs> it's honestly just <laughs> a little bit goofy.
3: Blasting.
2: Yeah, like I <laughs> no but, like so much of my gameplay in Last of Us 1 it didn't feel like, oh, it's the end of the war. I'm like, look, I'm literally, I have a two by four and I'm just <laughs> knocking people out. And sometimes I put the nail in the two by four and I'm just out here swinging for the fences, you know, and, and you know, Last of Us traditionally too is not, hasn't been that difficult of a game in terms of health and, and the loop of dying personally. Like that's been my experience with it mm. where it's e- it's easy enough that I can get away with being more melee oriented, a little bit more uh, reckless, But not only does Ellie, like, not really play that way because, you know, she controls very differently than Joel does and other characters, but also the AI is too smart for you to really do that very much. Like, Mm. you can do it a little bit. Um, But I'm not laughing during combat as much as I did in Last of Us 1 where sometimes I'd be in silly scenarios and I could just kind of bomb my way out of it. Uh, I can't get away with that here, and that kind of helps uh, keep the tone. Right.
0: Yeah. There's, There's a specific moment that I think, like, captured a lot of this that we're going to be coming up on in a little bit so I'll talk about then but um once we get through the school and we start working our way out uh we do this like goofy jump oh, so this is maybe the time I need to talk about this I I want to know whoever I whoever had the idea to put platforming in the last bus I just want to talk <laughs> I just want to talk <laughs> like I do not like the jumping stuff specifically, because mm-hmm. I think most of the other stuff in this game is at least some level of, I'm going to say tolerable, because I'm not wild about any of the rope puzzles or anything either, mostly because I think in some cases they're incredibly unclear. Like, there's a specific rope that you have to use to get into the TV station that it took me yep. way too long to find. Even uh, having played <laughs> this game multiple
1: times, I it took me a second to try and figure out where the fuck that was. Yeah. Well, it was. And
0: also it, in the same TV station, there's a part where you're supposed to like sneak along the outside of the building and get in through a window. And that also took me forever to find. So I think this is me once again saying, I think there are just some general like issues with signposting where a player mm. is supposed to go when it's not a natural sort of way that they have progressed right. before. Um, but I think the rope stuff specifically just never seems interesting enough to me. Like it, it's just novel at best. Um, but it's it's fine like I get that they have to have something to create some sort of interesting you know like puzzle or thing to do that isn't just the combat or walking around Um, so Mm. I'm ultimately fine with it but it's the jumping especially like the L1X jump never feels good and I feel like that's intentional I feel like every time you do one of those big jumps it's supposed to be that like Gasp of like you know is ellie going to make it am i going to miss the jump like you had you have one during the the big gate at the beginning of the section and you have one again here where you go from the school to the apartments and i feel like it's intentional that's supposed to feel like a moment where you're just in the middle of the air and you're like did i jump far enough did i nail the jump or not but i think doing it over and over again just makes me more and more like this never feels good to do. <laughs> this mm. never feels right to do. And I also, Ellie has some, some goofy just like moments where you have to kind of just fall mm. and just like kind of walk off a cliff to get down something. And I, I don't think the verticality and the platforming specifically no. is adding a lot to this game.
1: Yeah, it's uh it is especially interesting considering this is the same studio that makes Uncharted, that like that those games do have like platforming and like that is like core to those games. Not to say that like Uncharted's platforming and climbing is like stellar or anything, but it is like more naturally integrated into a lot of things than it really reveals in part two
0: makes a little bit more sense for that character i think yeah because that's like an indiana jones type character that's like you're supposed to be leaping across cliffs and i think it fits nathan drake's journey a little bit as like you know i've obviously seen some of the scenes like you know climbing up the plane and all that where it's you know that makes sense for who that that character is and i i don't know that it fits the setting of the last of us necessarily or even Mm. fits like who ellie is that all of a sudden you're doing these like big platforming areas it yeah. just it in a world that does feel pretty natural and i i have really begun to appreciate like how much more natural the world feels and the combat arenas feel um it feels like the one unnatural part where i'm like oh look all these things have been arranged so i could probably platform between them if i right. wanted to <laughs> um yes yeah, I, I don't know um uh, Janet, do you like platforming?
2: (laughs) In life, like in general, in games, yes. Uh, And in this one, um, it doesn't stick with me as heavily, but I do get what you're saying. I Mm. think part of it is just how the degree to which uh, Ellie swings her arms around. Like she kind of has the physical reaction of if you ever lightly um, move your cat, like if you have (laughs) a cat and just kind of set them, toss them, you know, from like the sofa to the floor. The sort yeah. of kind of disarray, yet <laughs> nimbleness, I think, is uh, is how I'd sort of describe uh, her, mo- her motion there. So I, th- I can see how that sticks out. And it definitely isn't, like, my favorite, you know, aspect. I, I will say, like, you know, earlier in this kind um, of what is it, a chapter? I guess it technically is. It's a really long chapter. Uh, like when I was in the synagogue, I was doing, like, the rope swing thing. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. fell from the rope because I just miscalculated. And it took me a long time to, like, re-grab the rope and, like, little stuff like that. It's like, oh, maybe this doesn't need to be here. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm ultimately. I know there's going to be more because when I was telling this to a friend of the show, Jesse Vitelli, uh, he told me that there is more rope puzzles and swinging and platforming to come. So, uh <laughs> not not looking forward to that. <laughs> but um we we get into the apartment complex and start moving our way through it. Um, taking stock of kind of where we are and where we need to go on the body of Jordan. We had found some information, uh, basically a letter and a picture of someone named Leah, who is one of the eight that was in Jackson. Um, She uh, sent whatever the (laughs) post-apocalyptic, you know, version of sliding into someone's DMS, (laughs) to (laughs) Jordan, Uh, a provocative picture and a letter about, uh, her being stationed up at the TV station. So we've got to make our way there because maybe she's got some info uh, if she's connected in some way. Um, and we get into kind of, I'd say what is the second open world section of the game, though it's a little bit more straightforward. Mm. Um, there are like some patrols and I took out some patrols here. Um, and uh, there there are a few places that I think are, are probably... More easily missable. Uh, I, I think a big one to shout out is the and Ken. I'll let you take the wheel for this one, but the uh, the the queer bookstore that we run into.
1: Mm. Yeah. So I I will admit that I had to put this uh, part of my notes after I after I had played because I realized when I got to the end of this, I was like, oh, I fucking forgot to stop by there. And I think some something that is interesting, I guess, about these uh this more open space is that like. If you're in what the game perceives as like a, in combat mode, like Dean and Ellie won't have conversations that they might have in that same setting. Mm, so yeah. you have to like take out enemies and then come back. Um, and there is like a patrol that's kind of around here. So like I have in my other playthroughs, I've sometimes I've had to walk through and not not have the conversation because I was trying to stealth my way like past them. But um, in the event that you have killed all the enemies around, like they do, they sit in this qu- Corbett's world for a second and they're just like. A, a moment where and like we talked we talked about this in the left line episode but i think this is like where it actually like shows the face more is that like these two uh queer women have like grown up in a world where like what we know uh, as queer culture doesn't really exist because like they don't know what the pride flags are because like they and then they don't really understand like why are all the books here like about like queer parents like there's one there's like a it's like something like sorority secrets or something and it's like like the characters on the, the cover like look kind of like dean and ellie and so like dean's like hey it's us and you know they have the one where they still don't really understand like what they're standing in and it like it kind of like it, it's not something that the game ever like goes out its way to be like hello these are, this is like an example of like how culture does not survive the apocalypse sometimes and it just kind of like made my stomach drop because like it is kind of like why like and we'll get into it later like in one of the flashback scenes, like you can read Ellie's journal like what she's doing in that particular point in time and she's still like trying to figure herself out even though like she had like her exchange with Riley and like that relationship and you know it seems to have like a sense of who she is but like she is still struggling with the fact that like she is still othered in a way because like she's not seeing a lot of like uh, like queer people to look up to in Jackson so like she still feels like something's off about me or something's different and um yeah it's like we, like, we, we were talking about it last week, um, when Ali was on, we were talking about, like, it feels like Jackson kind of, like, falls into, like, the lowest common denominator of, like, what quote-unquote culture is in that space, and that's why it does feel, like, very much like an American small town and has, like, certain prejudices that still, like, survived through that, but, like, these characters, still, like, again, they don't know what Pride Flag is. They don't know why there would be a store dedicated specifically to, like, queer literature and, like, queer history. And, um, it's just, like, it. it's a really sad moment for me because, like, it shows that, like, culture is a casualty of the apocalypse just as much as people are. And it's, uh, you know, again, again, like I've even said, like, I think in the, the Left Behind episode, like, I was like, I understand, like, if that does not sit right with you. And I know that, like, I think that is, like, a very tragic, harmful, hurtful thing to see. But, like, again, as a person that has lived in, like, a small town his entire life and has seen that, like, those touchstones don't exist where I live and knows that, like, people can be very distanced from that kind of stuff for, like, their whole life to the point where, like, they don't really understand what it is they're looking at. And, yeah, it's just... It's a really fucking sad thing, and I don't think the game even outwardly says that it is sad. I think it's just something that, like, we... That is, like, specifically for the player to understand why that is sad. And while the two of them kind of, like, don't really know where they are, what they're... Like, what the cultural touchstone of being here meant to some people before the apocalypse.
0: Hmm. I felt like it was a double whammy because this is around the same part where you can find a specialty store which has a bunch of halloween stuff in it Mm -hmm. and the one comment that i had when i was going through it was dina was like oh look at this it's all like you know all this spooky monsters and stuff like that and and ellie's just kind of like yeah it's it's halloween stuff it's a halloween store Mm -hmm. and dina's like what do you not like any of this and she's like not really and it's just like ends it right there and i was like Oh, yeah. that, that hits a little different right? <laughs> on but thanks to, to left behind. It's like, Oh, that's still a, um, especially if you go from the bookstore and reading the back of that sorority secrets book and all that, and then going right into the specialty store, like it's, it's a one, two punch. Yeah. Um, a reminder of kind of the emotional toll that, that Ellie has gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also want to shout out in this bookstore, uh, is a training combat manual, whatever you want to call it, um, a, a manual. And, uh, we haven't really talked about the way that they're doing upgrades in this game, but basically it feels like you get a lot more of the pills overall yeah. and you kind of have different branches that you go down mm. and getting, I think this was the one where you get the stealth one, uh, because yeah. it specifically unlocks the ability to make makeshift silencers for mm-hmm. your pistol. Um, which are just goofy as hell. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> but it's Go basically a cold, a cold bottle. bottle. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, does work, I think. I watched a video recently. GameSpot's been doing a bunch of videos uh, where they talk to a firearms expert in London about, you know, different video game guns and stuff like that and how realistic the representation is and all that. And they did one about The Last of Us where he called out that, like, yeah, this if you wanted to get one silenced shot this would effectively work you know like the the end of the coke bottle might affect the trajectory of the bullet in a way that wouldn't be great and obviously like the weirder thing is that you get three uses out of the base Mm. one and five out of the upgraded one but it would realistically only work once (laughs) because after you've shot once you've kind of blown up your coke bottle (laughs) Um, but just as like a gameplay tool and mechanic this is a game changer yeah. right here. I mean, I was the the wolves that I met after this had zero chance. <laughs> <laughs> there is, yeah. um, and in the same area too, like near the bookstore, there is a patrol, and you can actually there's some infected. I think inside the bookstore um, that you can like alert to the presence of the patrol and kind of sick them on each other, like left behind. Um, and, and as we get further into the section, we will run into even more situations yeah. like that, but, um, just some cool carry forward of ideas and evolutions of the combat here. But yeah, yeah. it's, I think this was actually the part of last of us part two, where I was really like the open world bullshit at the beginning. I was not really feeling it. I was like, ah, oh, you know, this is interesting. This is novel, but it did feel kind of not like the last of us, whereas mm-hmm. once we got to this part, like leading up into the TV station, I was like, okay, this is way more like what I was expecting. And also like what I was hoping for from this right. game. So yeah, um, sure. both in terms of writing and in terms of game playing, um, we keep on moving towards the TV station and we get to a whole area rigged up with trip wires. They brought back the good old, Trip wires. Actually, I should mention before we get there, we do find Tommy's horse dead, yep. um, eaten by the infected. And Dina throws up from the smell. Um, curious when that mm. didn't happen with the moose earlier in this game, mm. but it does happen here. Put another pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> it's best
2: not to read into these things.
0: <laughs> yeah. I Look. I I appreciate some good foreshadowing in my writing. I understand it's, you know, it's it's a tool. It's supposed to, like, ramp it up. But even by this point, I was like, I know what you're going to do now. I know what this is going to be. Like, it's, you're not hiding it, Naughty Dog.
2: <laughs> I totally I, didn't, like, I, I didn't notice at all. I'm not going to lie. I had no okay. indication. Like, I just didn't. Think about that as a possibility for some reason
1: yeah i i, I was the same I way like it like it was one of those things where like oh that's what that meant and but like it was my mind did not immediately go there as soon as she started oh, puking see,
0: now i feel weird for thinking for for reading this one coming um, <laughs> i
2: think i wasn't i wasn't personally sure like where how much time has passed be with like her and jesse and things like that right, like where right. her where her like life was you know mm. and also i don't know it's an it's an apocalypse like i I just didn't like think of that i think all the normal stuff tends to sort of fall away in some ways and i think like mm, yeah where they take things is like a weird blending of of bringing back uh normalcy and like normal right. problems like this game delves into a lot of like very mundane issues right. while also dealing with like The worst things that can happen in the universe. Also, um, really quick before we get to the TV station, I just want to shout out um, all of the lovely small businesses and Mm. chains and things in this area. Like I, Mm -hmm. um, I love that stuff so much. And again, it's always rewarded with like manuals or a story or whatever. And I just like get such a kick out of it. I actually own and am currently drinking out of my Rustin coffee coffee mug from the like (laughs) fake in-universe coffee place because they sell it on the playstation store which is awesome because i love game stuff that you don't even unfortunately on the back of the mug it just say last of us part two because branding but if it wasn't for that you would have no way of of knowing uh what it was like i got such a kick out of that like staring at the um you know the orange juice shop and looking through the grocery store and like all of that stuff um yeah i just love it
0: makes it feel more like you can really see that it was a place that humanity used to live in and seeing the contrast between what you would imagine this bookstore, this coffee shop looked like, you know, it, it could be one that's down the street from you, but now it's in this state of disrepair. It's filled with clickers. You know, it's, it's seeing that contrast again. It is highlighting that difference between the reality of the last of us and the sort of normalcy of everyday human life. Um, we will talk a little bit about Dina's, predicament uh later when it does actually get revealed uh because i have some questions <laughs> <laughs> but um we'll, we'll put a pin in that for now because we gotta get through some trip mines, which are once again just all kinds of goofy but they do some fun stuff with it there's one where you round a corner and dina is just like stop and and like there's a tr- there's a wire right there and i was like walking straight into it without even noticing it Mm. and it's such a good little moment i don't know if that's like a natural thing or if that only happens if you get near one intentionally or not but um it was a cool little thing to just kind of shout out and be like hey also you don't have the bow and arrow here so you're having to use like bricks and bottles to to break these wires and there's a whole lot of them too Mm. so Um, They do some fun stuff in terms of having to like get different angles on things like on the stairwell and um, just generally like a really interesting area. Cool way to bring that idea back. Um, We get into the TV station. Uh, We climb up through some like, you know, modern architecture and a silly rope that took me way too long to find, (laughs) (laughs) but we get into the lobby and there's uh, some soldiers that are, like, strung up from the rafters, essentially. Um, there are they're all kinds of... I mean, we, we find some people that are obviously dead from something. And we've been finding soldiers that have obviously been shot. Um, that That appears very much like Tommy's M.O. And obviously, we found Tommy's horse. But the stuff that we find in the TV station is a little bit different, a little bit more aggressive, and also it, like, leaves a message, which is not necessarily what Tommy would be wanting to do. Um, so we have an idea here that, uh, you know, something's something's a little off, something's a little wrong. Um, and we up to this point, we've been hearing the name scars and all that as like a faction, like a group Mm -hmm. of people. This is where I think they start to speculate that maybe the scars are the ones who are doing this and not necessarily Tommy. Mm -hmm. Um, But we, uh, we eventually find Leah here uh, dead in the radio room with a bunch of arrows Mm -hmm. (laughs) sticking out of her body. Also very interesting. Uh, mostly because somebody has a bow and I don't, and I take offense to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we find a bunch of Polaroids of their group. Uh, some of them make Ellie pretty bad, obviously. Cause they're taken like right outside Jackson. It's all them like smiling and taking selfies and, and stuff yeah. like that. Like, hashtag friend vacay (laughs) all (laughs) that right outside jackson um and then we find abby and and ellie's like that's her that's that's who we're looking for and dina like kind of brings her back in it's like hey come on three down right like we're we're making progress here um and then the radio picks up and we hear the patrol is coming in and we get through another stealth combat section um we fight we fight a bunch of dudes um, a lot of people come in and eventually like it gets to the point where we're moving through this area there's are so many that we have to just kind of book it and, and yeah. take off running and that's another weird thing about the last of Us part two I guess is that it seems like this is going to be a running theme of literally running like just going through these set pieces where we are being chased by whatever forces. And we're having to just book it through stuff. And I remember that was a thing in The Last of Us Part 1 as well. Like, there's one very specific moment in Boston, I think it was, where we did that. Mm. Um But here, like, we've already done it twice in the f- <laughs> first two sections of the game. Yeah. Um. So it's weird. I don't know.
1: They seem to use it as a way to, like, guide you from one, like, section of the game to the next. Because that generally, like... Because one point they did it. The point they did it last time was when Abby was running from like a horde, and then ended up with Joel and Tommy. So like, I right. feel like when it's basically like a quick way for them to transfer you from one section to another. It's like because we're going from the TV station to the subway station here, and they've kind to gotta use enemies to kind of like guide you towards that path.
2: Mm-hmm. Makeshift fast travel. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It does feel kind of like a flex, too,
0: because it's Naughty Dog being like, you know, we've we've made all these elaborate, intricate environments, and now you're going to run through them at, like, breakneck speed mm. and just, like, sprint through all of them. And they all look really nice. They, they all look really, really good. But as I was running through them, I was just thinking in my head, like, this is so much game world we're running through. There's so much stuff happening here. And, like, you know, video games are all, to some extent, like a magic trick, like the way that they, you know... Force perspective in some in, in ways in the ways that they make do with uh what they can to give you like the most feeling of being in a place even if you obviously every time you go to the citadel in mass effect they're not rendering the entire citadel mm. <laughs> and um here i was just kind of constantly amazed by the tricks they were pulling off to make these worlds feel so big and these set pieces feel so interesting even as you're like they're literally they exist to be sprinted through but they're right. they're still like very detailed and very interesting yep. um and it takes us into what I would say is like visually one of the most interesting parts of the game we've seen thus far uh which is the subway station um there's spores so clearly we have to put our masks <laughs> on because masks are what we need against spores right right Ellie <laughs> <laughs> so Door.
2: It's like, she's pretending she doesn't have the vaccine yet. Yeah. Oh,
0: God. <laughs> she's already, she's already gotten two shots and Dina's like, Hey, let's go get the Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> and Ellie's like, yeah, sure. Let's go do that. Uh, uh, so we, we crawl our way through this area. Um, a lot of good, like squeezing through tiny spots that definitely made my skin crawl in mm. many different ways because I'm like, No, I think I'll just let the zombies get me. (laughs) I'm good. I don't want to go in there. Um, We do find various notes and such. Um, One of my favorite parts here is we get to this area that is – so visually the thing I love about this area is that it's very dark. You can use your flashlight in some areas, though you do want to, like, turn it off in others just so you're not giving your position away and all that. Um, But they have these red flares that are lighting Mm -hmm. up the tunnels – and oh my god, just the visual is so good. Yeah, it it's so looks... beautiful.
2: <laughs> it's the it's like probably my favorite section. Like one of my favorite yeah. sections in the whole game. It's so <laughs> aesthetic, and then it's like it's got all the combat trappings that are just so enjoyable to do. Of like messing with turning enemies on each right? other, and like mm-hmm. it just it's just made for like if you didn't stop and take a bunch of photos here, like (laughs) did you even go through the tunnels? Like it's just so it's, it's just so cinematic and, and pretty looking, but also really gross.
0: Right. And it's chaotic too. Like the, the part that you get to where it's this open area where there's a squad moving in, but there's also clickers in the area and you can actually watch as these NPC characters are doing like what you would do, which is they move around and they try to like dodge the clickers without making sound and stuff like that. And so you can pick up these bottles and chuck them to like create sound where they are and move the clickers to different areas. And I was getting into all kinds of situations where I was in a firefight while also trying to dodge clickers or like trick some clickers into running into a guy I was having a firefight with. And it was just, I mean, I know you could probably play it and be super stealthy and precise and safe and all that, but it felt so good as just a mosh pit Mm. (laughs) of chaos and, um, even when the part that I got to eventually where you open the door and move on past the combat arena, like it, it felt realistic that they were still being chased by a clicker because I was absolutely still being chased by a clicker when I ran to that. Cause I hit a point where I was like, this is just getting overwhelmed. I need to get to the next area. I don't know if I can hold out here forever. And so I just took off sprinting and I could hear clickers running behind me. And I was like, Oh God, Oh God, move, 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 move. Um, just a spectacular set piece. Like I, This is so good. Mm. I loved all of this. Um, We find even more stuff about WLF defectors as well. Um, We find a corpse that has been somewhat burned in a way, possibly by acid, something that we have not seen before. I do want to shout out that we found a thing way at the beginning of the section uh, that like listed out the four stages of infected um, and, and the idea of like, okay, here's, you know, what we know is the runners and then the they, phantoms, stalkers, something like that. The, yeah. Um, and then obviously the clickers and the bloaters, uh, which they call stage one, two, three, and four. But soon we are going to deal with shamblers, which are a new type that explodes? Yep. Question mark. Real video game shit. I don't know if I like the sham. I'm gonna be real. with I don't like shamblers. I, I, I
1: mm. yeah. I I think they are in terms of like what the encounter entails the least interesting of all the the, the sort of uh, variations of the infected. And I also like, and maybe this comes up later and we'll be able to talk about it then. But like I feel like they don't do a great job of like explaining the stage or like the like what it, how an infected becomes that. And like how we've never encountered it before, because like there's gonna be something that happens later in this game where like we're gonna kind of meet a new type of infected, and it's going there's going to be like an in-universe context for why that thing exists. And I just don't feel like they ever got that with the chambers, and I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure if we ever do get it, but like right now, I was just like, I it, again, it also is like huge fucking video game shit. Like the thing is going to self destruct, and like you can't you can't stealth it like a clicker, so it kind of like exists in that like a bloater does, where like your tactics have to change in like a way that like the sort of like quiet ways you normally take things out are not an option here. So mm-hmm. it's just like, I, I don't know that like it really, at least here specifically, like we might get into something later. I just don't feel like it added much in any, any facet really in terms of my understanding of the infected and how to fight them. And other than just like not, don't be near it when it dies, I guess is my, the only thing that you really got to keep uh, track of and. I guess, different than a bloater?
0: Yeah, yeah I think it's Janet- fair. Yeah, how did you feel about these, Janet?
2: Yeah, they weren't, like, as big of a deal as I think it was sort of implied they would yeah. be either, so it feels a little bit underdeveloped, and I think, like, the... As y'all kind of already hinted at, like, the shock of the bloaters, like, originally was like, oh, it's such a big deal, and this is like, oh, it's, it's the remix, <laughs> basically, right. is the only yeah. real difference. Um, I mean, I do like the design, generally you know it's disgusting right. it kind of has like the little um, like pus balls sort of remind me of eyeballs so it's a little Resident Evil like mm. I can appreciate that element of it but I wasn't blown away by these um, not nearly as much as how like the um, you know this, is, again, this isn't this is new like the stalkers but like the way they kind of were further introduced like later on in this game like that more stood out to me than like mm. the introduction of, um, of Shamblers I already almost forgot the name
1: right yeah, because like even yeah. like with stalkers, like you're fundamentally fighting the things in a different way. This is just kind of like a walking bomb that I got to not be near when it dies. It's like, yeah, I just it's it's just not. It doesn't feel like this sort of step forward that I think they needed for a new infection infected.
0: I also like. I'm glad you brought up Ken. that it's hard to tell, like lore wise, where these are supposed to fit in because I couldn't figure out whether, because like obviously you can get spotted by a normal infected. Uh, and you can get spotted by a stalker but you can't get spotted by a clicker right because the the infection has taken them too far right um i could not tell if i could get spotted by a shambler or not i felt like i could but then also in my head i was like but they're really infected they're arguably more infected than a clicker is shouldn't they not be able to see me and i yeah i don't know i'm still figuring that stuff out and maybe that's like, on me, because in most of these sections I just kind of threw Molotovs at them. Yep. But, Same. <laughs> um, yep, it's most effective way. Yeah. It's a like bullet
2: sponge situation. Yeah,
0: Like, I mean, honestly, that's maybe the one thing that hasn't changed from Last of Us Part 1 is the Molotov is still the goat. It's still yep. the king of all weapons. Um, you know, shout-outs to every other weapon, but man, the Molotov does work like nothing else does. Um... But yeah, we, uh, we move through a bunch of different shambler areas and infected areas. We get a really, I, I do want to shout out one really cute area where you have a locked door where it's clear that whoever's supposed to be trying to access it kept forgetting the combination. And so you have to, they say, if you want to remember the combination, why don't you buy me a soda? And mm-hmm. So you have to break the glass on one of the soda machines and then take the note off of the soda that's in there. Yep. I thought that was really, that was nice. That was sweet. And also like. It taught me how that mechanic works too, because previously I had been like, I keep forgetting that you can break glass in this game. Mm. Uh, And obviously like when it was storyline necessary, the game would pop up and be like, Hey, remember you can throw a brick or a bottle through glass to break it. But with the machine specifically, I hadn't thought of that and I had a pipe on me. So I was like, I wonder if I can just melee this and open it up. And turns out you can uh and i was like oh this is a game changer so now i'm breaking everything i've i've busted so many uh, windows and soda (laughs) machines just any pane of glass will not stand while ellie is in seattle (laughs) um oh one thing i forgot in the t i'm glad i suddenly remember this in the tv station there's a very good moment where you can pick up an axe off a dead body that uh, they're theorizing this is when they don't this is when they think that Tommy has been going through there still. Um, and it has two uses already gone off of it. Mm. It's like a dead body next to a dude that's been hit by it. And I was like, that's a good, I like this. That's good environmental storytelling. So mm. there's just a lot of good environmental stuff in this game. Uh, some real attention to detail in minor ways that I appreciate. Mm. Um, we keep moving through some trains. We, we keep heading towards the light and Dina is starting to fall behind a little bit. She's getting a little tired, needs a little moment. Um, of course, we have one moment of panic as we're getting out where the train collapses, and our mask gets broken. Uh, so after we fight off an infected that attacks us on the way there, and there's a horde coming, Dina starts freaking out. Is like, oh, my God, Ellie, your mask is broken. Your mask is broken. Uh, and she's about to take her own mask off to be like, we can share, we can share, we can, you know, take turns breathing or whatever. And Ellie is immediately like, no, don't do that. And like pins her against the wall is like, takes her full mask off is like, look, I'm immune. I'm not coughing. I'm inhaling the spores and I'm fine. We need to get moving. Um, and we run from the horde and we, we keep moving, we keep moving. we eventually end up in a theater, uh, where we can breathe for a moment and now we need to talk. (laughs) because <laughs> clearly each party has something they're not telling the other. So Ellie is obviously like, yeah, I'm immune. I tried to tell you I was immune, chemical burn and everything. I was trying to let you know. Um, and Dina is obviously taking a moment to process all this. And then Dina fesses up on the opposite end and says, I'm pregnant or I think I'm pregnant. Um she tells us that she missed a few weeks ago that she's been feeling sick that she suspected it but she did not want to be a burden and uh ellie kind of fires back right away like well you're a burden now aren't you and they just kind of glare and separate for a little bit um so question here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had a moment because I've watched the walking dead and I was like, there's a whole subplot line in like season two of the walking dead where Glenn is trying to find contraceptives of some kind to, uh, So, so he can have relations with his significant other. And I was just thinking at this moment, I was like, wait, so not only was there like the Jesse relationship was obviously like, I'm, you're doing head math and how long it took them to get to Seattle and all that. And, and how long that time would have been. But I was thinking in my head, I was like, do they just not like teach this stuff to, to people in the future? I know we talked about <laughs> culture and everything, but just do they not, does that not exist anymore? Like the idea of any of this stuff that seems like it would be a problem.
2: Well, we don't that's know a... the like background on like, like how she got pregnant. I mean, obviously we know how she got pregnant, right? Cause science, right. but like, <laughs> it's not clear whether or not there's condoms in the last of us too. And that's something I've yeah, been thinking about yeah. for a long time. Um, Pretty much every chance I get, I ask the people on whatever podcast I'm on the the age old question. Are there condoms in Last of Us 2? I'm not sure that there are. It's never discussed. There's no I feel like we would have seen like especially, you know, we went to like that greenhouse shack full of like pornography and other and weed Mm -hmm. and things like you would think there'd be maybe some like remnants of some homemade contraption of it? sorts or something i don't know i mean at the same time it seemed like more of a place for just one bro to, to bro by himself you know what i mean yeah. maybe Let, there were a lot of guests more, it's
0: more of a single player adventure than <laughs> a multiplayer that's, that's what it. you know
2: it was set up for single play you can make you know it clearly can be turned into a co-op adventure we know that to be true at oh, this point as well
0: mechanics okay okay if you bring
2: anyone here you know anything <laughs> any room could be used for anything but yeah that's um i don't know what's up with that i mean You do know, like, people, you know, continue to have kids, like, in the society of of Jackson, right? You see all those kids playing. Um, But it it has always, like, blown me away a little bit in these apocalyptic stories when people are still, like, having families. But at the same time, I don't know. It's, like, that's – people have that in so many different, like – apocalyptic stories like i think of a quiet place too where they have that family mm-hmm. and like the wife's also pregnant and then and i remember thinking in this the same question like how did that happen and it's like was that there's that waterfall where you can scream and no one can hear you so i'm guessing that's <laughs> probably how that went down but yeah um tbd on this whole timeline don't really know what's going on
1: yeah, yeah. I, that that part never really occurred to me like do condoms still exist in the apocalypse that part i like that never really like that specific thing never really occurred to me um huh I, I don't yeah. know. Like, I, I just felt it's like the
0: first thing I thought. I was like, "Dina, come on! Like, what are we doing?" You can here? still
2: get pregnant while using a condom, though. Yeah, and that—that that, that was kind of like doesn't yeah. know.
1: right. That doesn't was a thing. That was kind of where my head was at. I mean, I assumed that it was an accident. I assumed that like they weren't like, especially if they were. Oh
2: yeah, planning Definitely to
1: break not. up at some point very soon. Like they were not trying to have a kid. So like, I, I figured that you know it was an accident regardless, and the fact that like Dina came to Seattle like when that was uh, you know a possibility like to, meant that clearly like she was not planning for this to be the thing but yeah i never like i really considered about like d- like what does consciousness look like in the apocalypse and uh yeah because i mean I, I like dina and jesse don't seem fucking stupid they, like, i'm sure that like they were being as careful as they could but like shit happens accidents happen like i that felt believable to me um i i'll, I'll give the writers and ellie as a character credit like that, this could have very easily became, like, a jealousy thing and, like, a whole other, like, mess of shit. Um, and yeah. it feels like Ellie's issue more is that Dina hid it for as long as she did and mm-hmm. that it has now, like, I mean, it was not uh, eloquent the way she put it, but, like, well, you're a burden now. And she's like, this is going to be, like, a, this detracts what they're to do. And she said, like, if you had said when you started to suspect, we still had time, we could have turned around. Um, so I, I feel like... I I feel like you know, and then in the next the next day or so, like they're gonna kind of be like, "Hey, it's an emotional fucking ten minutes. We were, you know, we were heated. Let's you know come back together and you know sort through this like adults and you know see see what we can still do with the, uh what we've got with us for now." And so I, I I will give them credit that they could have gone you know the most awful like teen drama way with this, and I I'm glad that they didn't.
2: Also, I think I, it's worth noting that she says, I think I'm pregnant. Don't worry. It's not it's yours. Not yours.
1: <laughs> yeah, that Which was, was very bullshit. good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I think I, I'm still like iffy on how I like this twist because there there is an interesting aspect of it being like we mentioned before, like a mundane, like just being human sort of thing. And part of me is like, oh, yeah, you know, it's that's interesting that adds a wrinkle, but I also part of me feels like it was a wrinkle that they added to like make things more fraught unnecessarily. Um, Maybe this is because I recently, like I watched that army of the dead movie on Netflix and that movie is just filled with situations where they're like, Oh, this thing is bad. And this thing is bad. And this thing is bad. And then let's add one more thing on top of it just to make it feel even more bad. And I don't like it when it feels like stories unnecessarily hop things on to create tension, especially when you've already got good tension. Like clearly they have gotten into Seattle. They are horseless. They are like, they're encountering a group that is quickly, they're quickly starting to to realize is not just like eight people, but is essentially an entire military faction that they're up against alongside all the hordes of, of infected They're in, you know, a giant city like Seattle uh, so they clearly have, have bitten off a little bit more than they could chew or thought that they could chew. Um, and so adding this on top of it just felt like a weird thing to be like, oh, and I'm also pregnant. And I was like, that's, I it adds tension. One day, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't know whether I like it as, uh, I want to see whether this turns into more character development and less just kind of as a way to add another like oh no thing to what's Hmm. happening because i
2: feel like go ahead
0: (laughs) i I was just gonna say i just feel like dina especially the fact that we haven't had a lot of time with dina yet and i want you know that relationship to be as developed as joel and ellie's and the thing about Hmm. it is that like joel and ellie never had those moments where it was like oh, it turns out I'm actually like keeping a massive secret from you and stuff like that. Like that's how the game ends. But right. <laughs> um, that's like the tension was usually that they were starting to care for each other a little bit more. Their survival was obviously important to each other. And I thought that tension was enough for that relationship to develop. And now having a thing where the relationship is not just being defined by the fact that they care for each other and want, obviously want each other to survive, but also that there's additional problems in the mix, I'm just... I don't know if I'm feeling it as much. I don't know if it's as compelling of a dynamic. And so mm. this, this kind of through, I'm i not, I'm not labeling it. Like I'm not stamping down and saying like bad, but I am like questioning where they're going to go with this because mm. it, it does seem like a weird twist to put on the relationship. But uh, Janet, you were going to say something.
2: Yeah. I think more so than introducing like a problem, like obviously it is a problem and you know, an unexpected pregnancy or an unplanned pregnancy is always like a point of stress in any situation. Um, I think it's more so just trying to pull on that thread of family because it's mm. I'm not saying they did it to be narratively easy because I think that's kind of uh, reductive. But clearly mm. a big motif of The Last of Us, like as again, now a franchise is family. Right. The mm. Last of Us won dad game. You yeah, know, this right. one. Not, not that this one's a mom game, but it's when you bring out family, it's the easiest and quickest way to. Recenter what you're doing in your life, like even if it's not, you know, the birth of a child. Mm. Like just kind of when there's illness in a family, or when there's like something going on in a family. Like you, when you get reminded of, I guess, the bigger picture of things uh, outside of, in this case, like petty revenge. You, it changes stuff for you. And even right. like at this point, Ellie mentioning, if you said this, we could have turned back. Like the fact that she said that is kind of shocking because she's been so gun ho right. about this whole thing to begin with, but, like, Mm -hmm. as much as, you know, the dad game genre does have some, like, you know, head-ass elements, it is true that a child changes things. And I think this was more so evoking that familial undertone, the idea of it's not just about whatever we have going on, like, the bigger picture matters, lives are Mm -hmm. important, lives are at stake. Um, I think also bringing in, like, a child, especially, like, one that isn't, you know, born yet, it's the perfect innocent party right it's like hey like i'm not even born yet and i'm like dragged into all of this like Mm -hmm. you have to think of me you have to do it's it's sort of um an emotional anchor i think for the situation more so than just a problem to overcome
1: right and i think that is going to be ultimately like not not for eric or anybody might be listening who's kind of playing along i do think sort of that it does have to be that recentering it's like what it ultimately ends up being is like putting a face to characters basically like showing what their priorities are in a situation is kind of like where it's going to land. And I do think that is something that it's kind of like a whole game thing. It's not necessarily something that we're going to see like specifically while we're maybe even in Seattle, but like they're going to have to, yeah, it, it, is, it is like one of the things where it's like the sum of its parts more so than it's going to be like any one individual thing that's happening throughout.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, as, as Dominic Toretto once said, it is all about family. So that's, um, we, we go to our respective corners. Uh, Ellie just kind of grumbles about going off to make sure the place is secure. Um, we get a generator up and running because this is the last of us (laughs) and, uh, we need to get the generators running at all times, uh, which lets us turn on a radio that we don't really get anything out of it right now. Um, we also find some keys after Ellie smacks the radio a right way <laughs> and we open up the big auditorium part of the theater where we find another guitar. And I, I also want to say like shout outs to tuning the guitar before playing it that mm. she picks it up and it is out of yep. tune. And she, she does the little fifth threat, you, you know, fifth fret, uh, hearing, you know, does everything sound right? Is everything in tune with each other? Um, I love that very much. Mm. Um, and then she plays a little bit of future days, and kind of goes into a dream of sorts, where we are back at a younger time. So normally this is where like a chapter would end, but we have one more segment to go, which is a flashback to Joel and Ellie uh, way back when. And uh, we uh, did they do they contextualize this? They say it's Ellie's birthday, but I don't feel like they really contextualize how long. After the end of part one, this is like what age she's at or anything like that. But it feels like it is supposed to be pretty, pretty soon after it, just because they kind of look more similar to their part one counterparts than they do to how they look in part two. Yeah. Um, And
2: she's newer to swimming. So we know that's another indicator.
0: That is important is as we are going through these woods that Joel is taking us to to a surprise. He shoves Ellie into the water, which is a little bit of a moment of like, oh, and then Ellie swims up to the surface. It's like, oh, yeah, Ellie learned how to swim. Yay. Mm.
2: Oh, wait. Hold on. So if if, uh, Ellie is 19 now, right? In Last of Us 2?
0: Mm. I think that's right. I
2: believe the the starting because now I'm like looking at like the gameplay of it to try to remember. It starts off saying three years earlier yeah oh okay perfect okay
0: so she would be 16 at that point yeah so that's not too long after the end of part one i think she 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 probably would have been 15 at the end of part one yeah part one lasts for about a year um yeah see we can do math on normandy Mm. that's funny because she
2: she definitely looks like she's like 12 years old
0: (laughs) yeah she looks
1: very young still yeah
2: but also, yeah. like, you know, when you think 16, it's like, that's still high school. Like, right. that's like uh, the awkward part of high school <laughs> right. before you yeah. look a little bit closer to your adult self. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess it does kind of track, you know. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we keep going through. We also get the opportunity to push Joel into the water uh, and just some really adorable dialogue between the two. Like, this is it punches you in the heart a little bit because it's just like, oh, man. This is this is that dynamic. This is you're right back in Mm. part one, like, and this is like kind of. I feel like what a lot of people wanted is sort of an epilogue to part one instead of what they got. As the ending was like, let's just, I just want to hang out with Joel and Ellie being cool together. And instead, it's like
1: it's sweet, but it hurts. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. It's also love. Good sad game. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. it's also interesting because like it feels like they are kind of back at like where they were. Say like. In the fall section like and mm-hmm. like because you know even in that that opening scene where joel gives her the guitar like there's awkwardness there like there's a this, like a tension that they won't really speak about but like there's just like they're just not clicking like they used to but here it just seems like they're back to normal like they've had enough time to kind of like get you know past whatever feelings of like uncertainty ellie might have still been having at that point so yeah it's uh, something to keep in mind as we reach the end of the section
0: Hmm. Um, we when we finally get to where Joel is taking us, we find a dinosaur. It <laughs> is a dinosaur. Uh, Joel has found a museum and is taking us to visit the museum. And and to start with, we have a giant dinosaur which Ellie jumps off the top of. Which I was also like, Ellie, don't jump off that. I'm holding the <laughs> controller. <laughs> like you've not properly checked the depth of that pool. <laughs> like, um. But uh. Yeah. We after giving Joel a little heart attack, we head inside and um, I mean, we're just doing all kinds of stuff in here at this point. There's so many interactables. There's, there's a cool hat we can find. We can pretend to sit on the phone and take calls for dinosaurs. There's a <laughs> pamphlet. Um, Ken, you have a note here that there's some interesting stuff in her journal. If you check it out. Yeah.
1: So like something in each of these uh, flashbacks, like they're taking, there are different points in LA's past four years and since we're not, they're not usually in Jackson, that is kind of like our chance to kind of like check in and see how things were for her at that point. And um, it was interesting. Like, so one thing, one thing that pointed out in the game doesn't go out its way to kind of like explain this or anything. She draws a lot of deer sketches, which was something that was like stuck out to me because deer is something that kind of like signals a very specific point in her life, which was the winter section. <laughs> like, that was what kind of like set her on like a depressive episode when we were heading into uh, Salt Lake City and you know, part one. And so, like, it. My feeling when I saw that she was, like, sketching deer and it, like, not really being a thing that she, like, couldn't do, like, my feeling was, like, she's maybe got, been able to kind of get past some of that stuff. And that was, like, heartwarming for me yeah. to see that, like, even if, like, she hasn't, she's not necessarily like over it, but, like, she is able to think about it or, like, think about this animal that she clearly has an affinity for without it immediately, uh, bringing her back to that moment. Um, she, uh, she, she also talked about, like, she, I guess, like, kids or, like, teenagers had, like, specific jobs around Jackson that she wasn't a fan of, and she wanted to talk to uh, Maria about, like, starting patrols, and that is kind of, like, something that she goes through, actually, even in later flashbacks where she's a little bit older, like, they're still not letting her do what she wants to do. And um, also, like, she's hanging out with Dina, and, like, they're doing, like, art projects, like, making paper crowns, and it was, like, oh, it's nice that she's, like, having an actual childhood, it seems, like, even Mm if, like, she's, like, 16 at this point, but, like, she's still, like, able to kind of, like, just do kid shit, and that was Heartwoman to hear as well and also there's like a little bit of a talking about her relationship with Kat which um, as we'll remember was her, her first girlfriend in Jackson and like you know it was like you know teenager shit like oh like our elbows were touching and it seemed like it was on purpose when we were watching a movie because like we sat next to each other and I was like oh like she's like genuinely like having a lot of these touchdowns that she wasn't allowed to have like back in Boston and really mm. it's nice to see
0: yeah a little bit a little bit of young ellie a little bit of like interesting info about how she's grown we also get uh a bunch of stuff about dinosaurs i mean i spent way too long just (laughs) looking at all the dinosaur shit here like i loved every second of this and also ken i'm just now realizing reading this have you not seen the movie jurassic park (laughs) i i have i don't know why you asked if i had seen that because because you're like, seems like an ongoing Jurassic Park reference. And I'm like, kid, yeah, they're like blatantly saying that this is Jurassic Park. And and Joel is like continuously referencing it throughout this whole section. So I was concerned because it is a movie that came out before the year 2000. So I was worried that you hadn't seen it. You know, we got to double check mm. that. <laughs> uh I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Janet, that you're here for this. I just have to bother Ken every time there's an old movie on here because uh, Ken does not watch old movies. It's not no true old role. movies.
2: Classic, classic, Ken. Mm-hmm.
0: I
1: saw a fucking Jurassic Park. So, like, does that mean the, this this joke is over? I've seen a movie. Why that was do you a- no.
2: hate Jurassic Park?
1: I can't
0: believe Ken is anti. He's trying to cancel Jurassic Park on our podcast. Mm. I can't believe this.
1: <laughs> well, what have they done for me lately?
0: It's giving you a heartwarming. It's giving you a heartwarming moment in a game where where Joel is like, "Let's have a, we'll have a movie night where we'll watch Jurassic Park." And I'm like, "Yeah, go watch Jurassic Park. That's a good movie. It's a Mm. good family movie. A lot of violence, but you know, it's honestly like, I'm sure they'll be
2: fine." (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Ellie's watching it completely unfazed by the velociraptors, Um, Mm. which is still like, oh, now I want to go watch Jurassic Park. That scene is great. so, yeah, we just have the most, like, chill time here. We go, yeah, Poe, we do have a super, <laughs> super chill time here. Um, That's adorable. <laughs> that is that is the first time he's done that in a while because he straight up, like, walked up next to the mic and meowed into it. Um, so clearly Poe would also like to watch Jurassic Park at some point. Um, we go upstairs, and there's a space area, which is, of course, another big thing for Ellie Um, And we get to explore even more space stuff. I love the part where you look at one of the rockets and Ellie's like, did you know which animal was the first one sent into space? And Joel is all proud. He's like, yeah, it's a monkey. I got this one. And she's like, no, it's fruit flies in 1947 on this adventure. And and he just, the way he says it, like, well, shoot, girl, you are smart. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, that's, mm, that's adorable. They're, Mm -hmm. they're the best. Um, And, and then we get to like the, what I would say is like the big piece of this museum area, which is the, the lunar, well, not the lunar lander. Well, yeah, it is the lunar lander, not the lunar Rover. Um, the, the big space pod that they take off in, um, Ellie puts on a space helmet, hops into the pod and Joel has gone to great lengths. He says to acquire a tape of the Apollo one, uh, Apollo 11 launch, uh, That Ellie can listen to and kind of picture taking off into space and y'all this is just it's too much it's too sweet it's too saccharine my my body cannot handle this level of sweetness in a video game that is so painfully dreary at times uh I love this whole segment I don't know how did you feel about it Janet?
2: It is uh, quite possibly the best moment in maybe any video game or like mm-hmm. one of the best moments in any piece of media ever, which I'm sure I'll look back on this and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. The same way I look back on my childhood self saying Metal Gear Solid 2 looks like a movie. It did not. It did not look like a movie. It looked <laughs> nice at the time. It did not look like a movie. It didn't even look like movies back then. So I don't know why I thought that. But I am um, <laughs> willing for this to age poorly because I just adore everything about this and um, i'm getting emotional just talking about it it's Mm -hmm. it's so sweet yeah and like um you know like it's uh, for her to be like reflecting on this now too it's just like it just really shows like how much joel like cares and like knows her on like a level that like Mm -hmm. very few people do and like it's so intimate and beautiful and what i there's so many things i love about the scene the lighting is um incredible too because they sort of um Almost the lighting kind of reflects like what she's imagining, which I think is really Mm -hmm. smart because it helps us get into her shoes in a way that we otherwise may not have. Because, you know, we're not it's not a VR game and we're not seeing what she's seeing or thinking of it or, you know, there's nothing there's none of those extra effects in there. Um, And I think one thing I love about this, too, is watching Joel watch her react to it. Yeah. It's like you It's like you ever give someone like a really uh, a gift you like really thought about really carefully and you're mm-hmm. so excited to like see them open it and like what's going to do for them. And this has that. Um, and yeah, it's just so incredibly beautiful and painful. And like what I love about these moments, too, and we get other, you know, in the future, kind of these flashback moments with Joel and um, which I also think is just a, such a smart way to make Joel exist in this game. You know, yeah. people complain sometimes that like oh, like, you know, Joel dies so early and all these things. And, you know, we don't we don't get to be with him, but like we're with him all the time. Like (laughs) he, You know, and I I think that's so smart, like the way they've set up the narrative structure to allow for that, because it does feel like as much as Joel may not be here in the way that Dina's here, he's very much a character in this story and part of the overall story that's being told. Um, But yeah, and I, I love this as an example of why joel is worth caring about because i'm someone Mm -hmm. who like doesn't care about joel um historically like i think he um was trashed in the first game almost the entire (laughs) way like he did keep her alive i'll give you that like and i know and i know toward the end he cared but i mean he had so he like never wanted to do the job it was just a gig for him um he literally was like i'm not you're not my daughter bye like had her walk off like on her own like at, at you know there's Uh, where's, where's the good, you know, like not trying to bring that all up again, but you know, there's so many things to take issue with, with Joel. And obviously Ellie feels that way too. So it's great to see, um, this kind of scene because it really shows like the love that was there and what, like the very complicated relationship that Ellie has with Joel, where he, she's, he's someone that caused her so much pain, but also like some of her happiest memories are with this person. So how do you negotiate those two things? And, Mm. oh, it's so good. It's Uh awesome. I love it.
0: Yeah. Uh I, uh, I also want to say that like mm. we talked earlier about the last of us part two having incredible motion capture and just like the, the way that they had leveled that up in from part one to part two and it like shines here again, the way that they're just kind of like nonverbal right. moments of recognition and communication between the two that just like add so much to that dynamic. Mm. Um, I'd say even more so than I've seen with like Ellie and Dina um you know they do they do kind of have like the the goo goo eyes for each other and stuff like that, and there's the tension that you can kind of sense in the theater scene, but I think with Joel and Ellie there's just so many little touches that work so well uh in these cut scenes with them that it it does floor me a bit it like really sells yeah. the dynamic between the two yeah
1: um i um it so i don't i don't know if like the term love language is i mean that's usually used in like what you internally feel but like externally like gift giving is like what i would consider my love language if that makes sense that's how that if that is like the proper use of that term because i there's something i really enjoy about like knowing a person well enough and like being invested enough in their interests to know what is something that is going to speak to them something that will show them not only that i care that like enough to give them something but also i care enough to give something that is very specifically for them and is something about that i know that they enjoy and something that i know that like Means something is like a, a very valuable thing to them, and that's not something that like they, like I'm not, I'm not calling my parents out 'cause like they t- like you know well now like while I was growing up like in my younger years like we're very aware of like the things that I gave shit about and we're like you know tailor birthday parties and shit to that and you know like drive me to a fucking Zaxby's like an hour away because there was an arcade game there that they knew I would want to play because we had the console version of it at home or something, um mm-hmm. and so like. That is something about this, this moment that really, like, just speaks to me, is that, like, Joel knows and cares enough about Ellie's interests and, like, the things that, like, make her happy and the things that she, like, dreams of enough to, like, go so far out of his way to, like, find a fucking museum in, like, the fucking wilderness that has been overgrown and is, like, basically, like, hidden at this point um that was specifically going to, like, touch into not only, like, her, like, two of her favorite, like, fascination, like, obsessions and things that she enjoys, and then find, like, a fucking recording of the Apollo 11 launch, which is something that, like, and, like, you know, in this world, like, imagining how difficult that must be, like, that to, like, have these really, like, grand gestures of love and, like, you know, arranging something, like, on this scale, just to, like, realize, oh, like, Joel is so invested in Ellie's interest and, like, the things that make her happy, enough to the point where, like, he wants to be involved in those things with her. He wants to like, not just, like, let her go off to her corner and, like, figure out all the shit on her own, but, like, wants to help facilitate some of these moments and just, like, you know, go so far out of his way to make this day special for her that just, like, fuck, man. Like, I... Like and like you said, Jen, like, there's a lot of <laughs> issues to take with Joel, but, like, there was, like... It's one of those things, where, like, that I, I think it's something that part two has to, like, contend with is that it is kind of giving in-text opinions on the matter in terms of, like, what happened at the end of the last game. Like, a lot of people, like, thought Joel was just this fucking selfish, like, old man that only, like, kept Ellie around, like, as his surrogate daughter. It's like he wouldn't have to lose another daughter again. But, like, no, like, he, like, genuinely gives a shit. And, like, wants mm-hmm. to enrich her life in whatever ways he can. And, um, you know, there is, like, a, there is selfishness to things that he's done because, like, he didn't ask her opinion on things. But, like, he made the decision he did. And now he's going to whatever time he has with Ellie, like, make it memorable, make, like, give these touchstone moments that she can remember, like, when he's gone, and that is what she's doing. And it just, like, it really speaks to, like, it's such a, like, uncomplicated, like, portrayal of love in this this game, because, like, a lot of the, like, love portrayed in these games is through violence, and that is, you know, the uh, thesis of The Last of Us, and it is just, like, such a pure moment that, like, I even... Like, I, I don't think anything like it exists in these games anywhere else. That it's just, like, uncomplicated and pure. And I just really appreciate that. And it's going to make where things are about to take a very quick sudden downturn, like, all the more uh, heartbreaking. And, like, being like, oh, no, like, yes, he has done this wonderful thing, but he's, like, he's basically on borrowed time before everything goes to shit. And this sort of, like, dream that he has given Ellie is going to be corrupted in a way very soon.
2: What do you think he got her for the year after this? Because how do you follow this up? You can I know I have like- this problem all the time, too. <laughs> as someone who, like, really likes giving a good gift, even mm-hmm. though, you know, it's a struggle if you can't. Even if you know someone, that's the thing about gifts. Like, even if you know someone mm-hmm. really well, it's like you have to know, like, what's that, like, interesting thing that they're going to like. Right. Like everyone likes AirPods. Like that's not a, an amazing gift. Right. You know, it's it's cool. It's expensive. You know, that's nice. But like, it's not going to floor anyone mostly. Like, I, mm. actually, I did have a context where that did kind of floor me. But that was kind of a separate surprise thing where I was like, oh, wow. Um, but, you know, for the most part, it's not it, it needs to be like an intimate and specific thing so i'm so curious as to like what he does after this because you can't you're you're not gonna you're not gonna top this also um before we get to the dark parts of this i do want to note because we skipped over it that you can throw the hat on Mm -hmm. the dinosaurs
0: and then on joel
2: and uh you get a hidden hidden trophy for it and also it's hilarious and
1: adorable i never got the hat on to joel yeah yeah then he'll throw it on like the uh Oh, I don't remember which the dinosaur. It is, but like, the one that's like on the balcony. The the one that
0: reminds them of the giraffes. Yeah. From, from part one. Yeah. yeah. So I had yeah. that moment where Ellie was wearing the hat, and Joel took it off and put it on top of the dinosaur. But I never tried throwing the hat onto Joel. Mm. Oh no! I have to go back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. I think to wrap this this one part before we get into the sad stuff. Like, I think this is ultimately them trying to continue the question of the ending of last of us part one, which is like, you know, Joel makes a selfish decision to say that like Ellie has been through a lot and that everyone deserves to have their childhood. No one uh, should have it taken from them. No one should have their life taken from them for something. And it's, it's an expression that like, like Ken said that it's not just about him, you know, replacing Sarah or whatever. Um, he is like trying to give her something and trying to ensure that she has something. And I, you know, there, that's a very complicated thing. It, it's a simple thing that becomes very complicated in the context in which it happens. Um, but it is really sweet that like we get to see Joel, not just, you know, going to Jackson and then kind of going back to his old ways, but really making an effort to be a figure in Ellie's life mm. and improve it for the better, while also still clearly like giving her space to grow as a person. Like we see her having her own shed and she's not really like, it's not like they're playing family in a house or anything like that, but he is like making an effort to stay in her life and make sure that she's having what he fought, you know, to give her and all that. Um, It's very interesting. So after this, Ellie wants to keep exploring. That's, that's kind of like Joel has, has, given his gift but but Ellie wants to keep exploring and finding more stuff. Uh and this this evolves into uh Ellie jumping into a lake and going into trying to get into the next section of the museum and Joel gives us a boost into it but we find out that the door is completely barricaded. And so Joel is going to search around the outside for a way in while we look around the inside for a way in. And as we get further and further in here, uh, we start picking up like resources and Mm. bullets and things like that. It feels like there's very much an implication that, uh uh-oh, there might be combat in here after all. Uh, I definitely had a moment where I was like, should I be stopping to like craft some things just in case Mm. and all that? Um, We also start finding graffiti because environmental storytelling. Like, (laughs) I'm just going to be honest, like, writing on the walls is one of my least favorite ways of communicating in an environment and even though I think it does kind of make sense in this area specifically I do have that moment where I'm like I think of the left for dead two graffiti where someone writes like all is lost and forgotten and someone like follows up he's like shut up mm. <laughs> you suck man <laughs> um I, I I at least like it when they make fun of that stuff but um it's a lot of graffiti about this this person who clearly feels uh, remorse for things that they've done and they're listing out their crimes on various walls within this darkened museum that we are working our way through. And the tension is ramping up. We hear noises around. There's definitely implication that there could be infected or people or something like that. And um, uh, one, one piece that stands out, one graffiti that stands out is there is no light, um, which, you know, it's a little pin in that. Um, and we find the writer's body, uh, and they, they have a letter with them where they, they said that they were fighting for something, they were working towards something, they wanted to end suffering, but it didn't work out, and it's disbanded, and now there's just no hope left. Uh, and They can't live with the things they have done. And we get one jump scare from a bunch of fake wolves, you know, symbolism and all that, uh, and then we have a real life boar who just comes <laughs> careening through this area, uh, knocking stuff over. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of funny. You know, I, I kind of thought there was going to be a boss battle with like an infected boar here. And that would have been kind of wild, but, <laughs> um, just, just a boar losing its shit in a museum you standard stuff. Uh, but it does end with uh, Joel bursting through the door and some light coming into the area. And we see the last piece of graffiti that has been left in this area. And it is a giant firefly, a logo with liars at the bottom. Um, and there's kind of an awkward silence and Joel is just like, Hey, we should leave. And that's, that's the end of day one. Um, there's kind of an unspoken thing there, isn't it? Mm. Um, both in terms of like, obviously they both know that the fireflies, you know, like what the fireflies were and what they did. And so seeing this has some ramifications and obviously they'll each be thinking their own things about this as well, in terms of what this could possibly mean, why someone might feel that they were lied to by the fireflies, um, and their cause, Mm. um, but we will find out more as this this game goes on. Can um, any closing thoughts here on the section of the Last of Us Part Two? Uh,
1: altogether, I think the first day in Seattle just feels a lot like a whole lot of table setting, just like understanding like what the conflicts in Seattle are, and that's all well and good, and that's all well and fine. Um, it was for in this first day specifically, I think what was more interesting to me was the uh, the museum and just like knowing that like. Hey, Joel, like, was at some point trying to, like, really uh, give Ellie, you know, these th- these things that were special. But every day that we're in Seattle just kind of, like, ends on a, uh, like, you know, when it comes to, like, the flashbacks and stuff, it just kind of leaves on this note that, like, s- their relationship was starting to deteriorate, even if it was not necessarily apparent in the moment. But, like, you saw, like, certain things that started to signal it. And um, mm-hmm. just, like, you know, constantly like, leaving us on that note that, like, oh things might have not been great by the time when th- these two last saw each other. And, uh, that was always just like a very solid, like dramatic note to leave it on. Like the, the stuff in Seattle was like compelling to me in its own way, but I feel like for me at that point, like I am more interested in, at this point, knowing like what was the state of Joel and relationship and like, why is she, she like, if there was some tension there, like why is she so compelled to continue to like do what she's doing? And, um, yeah, so like that that right now is the most compelling thing to me so far.
0: Janet, how about you? How did you feel about this this whole section as we as we wrap up?
2: Uh, I love the section overall. My favorite parts are the tunnels and uh the museum or I think it's called birthday, the birthday gift the or birth, something. Birthday gift it's, it's, yeah, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Yeah, it's called yeah, when you like do the chapter select or the section select. Um yeah, the birthday part specifically is like probably it might be the best part of this game. It's probably the best part mm. of this game. It's just really good. It's like
3: yeah.
2: it's like the draft if it meant more. <laughs> right.
3: Because the draft is cool. More like it's like, oh,
2: it's very beautiful, but like, you know, okay, at the end of the day, let's keep keep it moving. <laughs> right. We're trying to get to the end of this fifteen hour game. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean honestly, it was just um it's something that I think this game does a great job at um like laying down the foundation to make stuff hit harder later, which like both of you touched on in various ways. Um for like other pieces of the story and sure sometimes the foreshadowing maybe is is kind of obvious like the liars thing you could argue that's a little heavy-handed but i mm. i like that stuff a lot and i think they do a really good job at like pulling it all through um and yeah i never thought i could care about joel and then mm. this scene happened and i was like this is what love really means you know i was very mm. dramatic in my mind about it but yeah this might have been too the moment where i've i forgot i wish i'd written down when i felt like this game was a masterpiece because i do i do put it in that category personally mm. and this might have been if this wasn't the moment like it, it, this was like one of the many moments where i'm like yeah this is something special like they have mm. they did something special here um even mm. if they did some other things that may or may not have landed mm. <laughs> totally uh but yeah uh absolutely loved it and i actually like the uh the doofy open world stuff i just enjoy having a little bit more options in terms of um checking stuff out and exploring stuff, uh, narratively and mechanically. So I, I did kind of, uh, some of the more linear stuff later, I kind of wish could be a little bit more open, but yeah, loved it.
0: I think for me, like, like closing off here, um, the one thing I'm coming away from the last of us part two right now is feeling just like, I'm still trying to get a hold of the pacing of this game because, um, mm. <laughs> in, in the prologue, we're like constantly jumping between two viewpoints of, of Ellie and Abby. Um, and, and we're also getting, and even then before we get there, we have Joel at the beginning and there's there's time jumps. And and then to from the prologue into day one, we have another time skip that isn't even like very, I felt like it was not very clearly broadcasted <laughs> what the like how long it took them to get to Seattle or anything. Um, And then we have, you know, sudden revelations of like, oh yeah, you know, Dina's pregnant. And uh, Ellie is having to reveal that she's immune. And um, then we have a jump back in time. And it just feels like the one thing that I really liked about the last of us part one was that it felt very contiguous. It felt very like put together, like it, it ran, in one solid line from point A to point B. And it's not like it's some, you know, God of War 2018 thing where you do like, oh, there's no, there's no cuts ever and stuff like that. But um, it did feel like it was very, it had direction because of that. It had like intent behind the things it was doing. And I do feel that there is intent here, but that intent feels much broader and much, like it's trying to hit on a bunch of different themes and beats at the same time. It's trying to hit on the relationship of Ellie and Dina, it's trying to hit on the idea of revenge and, you know, whether revenge is a good thing and what it's going to cost the person that wants it. it and it again like branching off of that, it touches into questions of morality and and ethics in in this world, you know, what is allowed, what is not allowed, what is good, what isn't good. And then it's also touching on Ellie and Joel's relationship and what how that evolved like both informing us you know how it got to the point that ellie and Joel's relationship was strained to the point that we see at the beginning of the game and also like it, what their relationship was to begin with and how they interacted once they were no longer journeying across the u.s to, to find the fireflies and it just feels very stretched thin right now um i don't feel that same level of focus yet and that's kind of weird because i, I find myself in a place where like the combat is really keeping me in it and I'm really enjoying it. Um, It's honestly like up there with like metal gear solid five in terms of just interesting stealth combat for me. Um, But it's also like, I'm waiting for the story to really kind of lean into its strengths and not feel like it's trying to cover too many bases at the same time and spreading itself out in the process. Cause when it does hit, like when it takes a little moment, like in the museum, it really does work but then we're having to jump back in and now we're back into another thing and here's another thing and there's that and i'm having fewer moments where i feel like this story is letting itself breathe and letting relationships feel a little bit more natural and feel a little bit more like they progress at a normal uh rate like they did in last of us part one but We will see. I'm interested. We also have to account for this game is a lot longer (laughs) than Mm -hmm. than The Last of Us Part 1. I think playing this section was like the amount of time I would have spent playing two different sections for the first game. So um, that's a lot to incorporate. But I'm glad that Janet Garcia was along with us for the ride to cover all this. Um, Real quick, we are Normandy FM. We are a retrospective podcast. We used to cover Mass Effect, which means that now we are also covering Mass Effect. (laughs) Uh, Just yesterday, uh, we recorded our Mass Effect 2 roundtable with Elise Favis, Lucy James, and Michael Hyam. I believe, Ken, that's already up for patrons. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that'll be out uh, by the time you're hearing this episode air, if you're listening to the free feed. So um, that will already be out. And the last one that will cap off our legendary edition roundtables will be the Mass Effect 3 roundtable with Ash Parrish, Natalie Flores, and Emma Kidwell. Very much looking forward to that one as well. Uh, If you guys want to hear that early, you can head over to the Patreon and sub at any level. We are opening that up to all patrons this month. Get early access to the roundtable just as a way of us saying thank you for listening and going on this ride with us as always if you back on the patron at any level you also get into the discord if you back at the five dollars tier, you get all episodes early as soon as ken is done editing them and if you back at the highest tier we do shout you out every week on the podcast and this week that list is kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just the wedge of destiny Mila Hyde, zach james and kevin hucks thank you all so much for contributing and helping back all the things that we do next week we will be doing ellie day two we will have another excellent guest but janet one last time for the folks at home where can they find your work and find all the awesome things that you do
2: yeah you can find me across the internet under the handle game Onysis. that's game o n y s u s uh that's on patreon twitch youtube all social media platforms and yeah, all that good stuff. Uh, Y'all know how how Patreon works. So yeah, I have one. There you go. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) If you've got some spare cash, you should head over and back her as well. Some excellent stuff going on over there. Thank you again for coming on and, and chatting with us. It was awesome to finally get you on here on Normandy FM and to talk about the last of us. It was great. I'm so glad you came on today.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Folks. We will see you next week for more infected action more drama hopefully some more bookstores or like coffee shops or something i'm digging the vibes of downtown seattle we will see all of it next week on the last of us part two here on normandy